This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday to you. You made it another week. Congratulations. You're still alive and kicking. If you're listening to the show, hey, you're breathing, apparently. Um, Great to have you with us. We've got a wonderful show for you today. We've talked a lot on the show about um, fake news, echo chambers, this idea that people don't, uh, they don't search multiple media sources. They kind of go to their favorite media source, which is obviously the Matt Townsend Show. I mean, because you're here. Hello. Wrong. Okay. (laughs) Sorry, Mr. Trump. But uh, the belief is that we're just not out being a great uh, curator of information. We just go to one place and, you know, if you like Fox News, you always go there. If you like CNN, if you like MSNBC, you just kind of go there. The problem is that assumption may actually not be accurate. The assumption may be fake news. The assumption is probably fake news because we tend to use the search engines a lot more – then we just go to a source. Hmm. Isn't that weird? You, I think uh, we'll get into the stats, but it's every day, and especially if you like love news and media, you're searching Google all the time for stuff. But if you're searching Google, you don't then go to Google and immediately go look for your favorite news source. No. So and I don't- that very fact hmm. would show that you're probably – not depending on one source for all of your news. But you're probably depending on the same type of sources. Well, yeah, I mean, you may not be going to podcasts. Right. But that doesn't necessarily, but if you go to a podcast. You you might be going to a a group of sources that inform your opinion versus a variety of sources from all different types of opinions. But our guest point today is that the mere fact you're searching Google uh, creates multiple sources yeah. that you're not selecting. You're not choosing the source you're going to go look at usually. You're just searching. Huh. And then you take the one, two, or three top choices. See, and I don't search See, Google for topics like that. You're different, I know. But, you, but let's just admit, I go, Terry, I go to, I go to websites. <laughs> and let's admit. But you see, that's the problem. You only go to Fox News. No. All day long, 24-7. I do go there occasionally. But see, that's the thing is – is it is it hyped? Is are we overhyping this idea that we just have a bunch of illiterate people that only listen to one source of information? And our guest today would say, yeah, yeah. Now, certain people do that. Uh, interestingly, people that aren't used to using the internet mm-hmm. would usually just go get their one source. But isn't that what we used to do? Is we used to just get our one source from the newspaper. Well, this idea of filter bubbles was presented right after the election, yeah. and it just seemed to everyone just went, all right, they that's, went off. that's the thing. That's, it. that's, that's what, what happened, filter bubbles. And We've got filter saying, bubbles. No, not necessarily. In fact, Jeff, didn't you have filter bubbles and you had to get those fixed? Yeah, and you know, it wasn't as cheap as you'd think it would be. No. I heard it hurts as a procedure. Yeah. Uh, defiltering, mm. debubbling. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so we'll get to that fun stuff. Plus, by the way, national. Speaking of uh, filter bubbles, National Donut Day. Yes. Mm. Boy, I wish I could partake. <laughs> Last night I went to a, a wonderful event at my wife's work. Oh yes. And uh, in fact, she 
She brought up the fact that she was listening yesterday. Oh. And she's like, you were talking about my event. Hmm. And you were acting like you didn't want to go. And I'm like, no, listen to it again. <laughs> I was saying I'm excited to go. So last night we went. It was awesome. So fun. But she's you, listening, right? Yeah, okay, probably. But when you can't eat, it's not a fun thing. Right. Because you see all the stuff you and want to eat. Then I just got mad. I was like mad at everyone. Because they're just chowing down on this you know, that is frustrating because usually that's kind of your fallback when you're in a room full of people that yeah. either you don't have anything to say you just chow to them down. or, yeah. Hmm. So here's National Donut Day, and all it does is tick me off. Hmm. I don't know why. I'm mad. Well, you want to eat the donut. I want to eat a donut, for heaven's sakes. Or a Funyun. Why do you want a Funyun? I don't know. Do you like Funyuns? That's what I told my surgeon. I'm like, look, do you want me to light this gallbladder up? Well, I'll light it up right now for you. <laughs> You don't believe me that I need this? Give me a Funyun. And he's like, we don't need to do that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think it's because we have some Funyuns in my – one of my kids got it at a something or other and he's not going to eat it. Right. But he doesn't know how the joy of a Funyun. Oh, I enjoy the Funyun. It's the after effect of the Funyun. Yeah, post-Funyun. You just can't get rid of it. It's just yeah. everywhere. <laughs> it's like corn nuts except worse. Oh, I love corn nuts. Corn nuts are good too. Yeah, but yeah. they break your teeth. Yeah. Uh, Nothing against corn nuts. We love corn nuts. By the way, today's also leave the office early day, which I will. Uh... Oh, there goes Jeff. Wow. Yep. My wife is having a baby. Mm. I'm going to miss that guy. Ah, He's got that filter bubble problem. Did you hear that? You yeah. could hear it in the car. Yeah. It's all right. A little, little rough-sounding engine there. He'll yeah, be okay. that's all right. Uh, today's the day you leave the office earlier than you normally would. Okay? That's what I'm doing. <laughs> By the way, I may be getting an MRI. Ooh. And uh, if I get an MRI, I get to travel, what, two and a half hours to go get it? Next week? Uh, to another state. Next week, we're getting somebody on to talk about how we're giving ourselves cancer with too many MRIs. Really? This will be my first. There you go. But I'm traveling to another state to get it. Now, wait a minute. MRI, I thought that was one of those standardized tests that, you know, elementary school kids have to take. Uh, No. MRE Hmm. is a meal ready to eat in the military. I think you were thinking of that. Hmm. That the kids eat when they're in the military. I was going to say, you're kind of past the age to take the MRI, you know. Come again? And if you don't, you know, it's frustrating. If you don't do well on the MRI... Your entire future is just shot. Well, no, totally. You could find something that says you're going to die. Yeah, your future would be shot. Oh, so this is like a medical This is a medical procedure. Exam. Okay, mm-hmm. gotcha. Man, I hope you pass. I do too. I do too, because that would be a lonely drive back from Idaho. Um, we're going to be talking today about fake news. We're also going to get into empty news, uh, MT Matt Townsend news, some of the news that you didn't even know you needed to know. And- the MT News Team, first on the scene. Fifth on facts. I mean, why be first on facts when you could be first on the scene? You know, then you've, you know, then the odds are you'll get some good facts if you're there early. Uh, we will also be then doing some headline news with Terry South. All of that uh, straight ahead. But first, we got to hand the reins over to Terry, who's cramming right now, trying to get as much information into his head as he can. Terry, what's going on around the country? Remember all those airbags that had problems last year? Oh, yeah. And they had that recall? Yeah, the recall, million of them. Yeah. Well, actually, millions. Jeez. Upon millions. It says, uh, so they were recalled. 
the airbags would explode in shrapnel. Metal pieces yeah. would fly in yeah, your face. Yeah, shards of bad. metal. Bad. It was killing people. More than 65% of the 46 million uh, recalled Takata Corporation airbag inflators in the U.S. have not been repaired. So 65% of them are still out there on the road. Ur- and the U.S. A U.S. senator who's looked into this is urging automakers to speed up the pace of the repairs. Senator Ben Nelson of Florida said only 15 million inflators out of 46 million uh, that have been oh, recalled brother. today have been replaced. So people just aren't doing it. So somebody and, may be sitting there with a bomb in their right. steering wheel. My wife's car, by the did she For get example. hers fixed? No, we just got a, yet another notice to go get it fixed. And we're like, oh, yeah, oh, right. Oh, yeah, we, we got to get that bomb we detonated. Get that death machine fixed. Um, a Florida judge Tuesday ruled that a man named Christopher Wheeler must serve six months in jail unless he provides the correct password for police to unlock his iPhone <laughs> to comply with a warranted search. Give us your password. So he's been charged with a crime, six swore months. in court that the incorrect password he already gave the cops is the only one he remembers. Wow. Right, so now they're saying you're lying. Give us the password; you'll sit in jail. Meanwhile, in another Florida case, a different judge on the same day declined to jail a man who likewise said he could not remember his password. Nearly a year after his arrest, Circuit Judge Charles Johnson ruled it's impossible to prove the defendant is lying about his memory. Hmm. So now we're into this situation. Yeah. When can you compel someone to give a a phone? When can you search well, a phone? Is it like your home? In that sort of sense, yeah, where they need a warrant, like you, have, or, you need a warrant. They need to get yeah. Jack Bauer but involved. It, right. Well, you know what? Take it to Apple. <laughs> they don't want to be involved. Right. So there you have two different cases in the same state where they're approaching the whole thing differently. One guy's in jail because he won't provide the password. The other guy's like, well, we, oh. we don't know if his memory's faulty. I mean, he did forget cereal yesterday. The TSA began a new screening policy for paper products at airport checkpoints in Missouri last month. Now the agency's branch in Sacramento is testing out more invasive searches for books and food items. TSA screeners can fan through travelers' books to see if anything is hidden in the pages, but the agency officials insist they will not pay attention to the content of the book. (laughs) Okay. Critics yeah. have long argued the passengers selected for extra screening are not chosen randomly, as the TSA claims, claims, and book content, particularly political or religious nature, could reignite that debate. Yeah. Are you picking someone because of what they're reading is, you know. And sure, well, I mean, if you're reading a bomb-making book. Right. If you have the anarchist cookbook. That you, you printed, probably ought yeah. to be pulled aside. And, right. Yeah. The popular mobile word game Words with Friends has added one of the Internet's most popular typos in recent days, Kofefi. Oh, did they? The mysterious term the President Donald Trump tweeted out. So that's on uh, Words with Friends now. It's a, you can just figure out how to work that into the game. Wow. Also, the main Department of Motor Vehicles confirms that someone claimed Kofefi for a personalized license plate just hours after the uh, tweet went out. Also, uh, local media reports this happening in Nebraska and North Carolina. So really? Personalized license plate. That's great. That's good. And finally, Wonder Woman. Who? Comes out this weekend. Well, yeah, isn't it already out? They're predicting. Well, it's out right now. Yeah, Yeah. they're predicting ninety-five million dollars in the United States. Wonder Woman, a huge boost to the very sluggish start to the summer movie uh, season. This is going to come as no surprise to you as somebody that loves uh, superheroes. Right, but she's my favorite superhero. You don't know. She of all Linda Carter. Yeah, Linda Carter, and because she had a lasso. And I used to dream that someday Wonder Woman would lasso me and make me tell the truth. 
<laughs> wow. Because it's a truth lasso. See, maybe maybe uh, those guys that won't give up their passwords need to be lassoed. Exactly. Where's Wonder Woman? Warner Brothers is being more conservative. They're looking for a 65 to $70 million opening weekend. Ah, they're trying to downplay it for An- taxes. Another movie out there, something more on your level, Matt. What's Captain that? Underpants. Oh, that's what they called you in high school, right? That's what they still call me. Captain at my Under- reunion. Captain Underpants is out there, so you can Hold on, what's Captain Underpants? Uh, it's some kid's book. Is it that guy from Nashville, Tennessee that stuffed a catfish down his underpants? No, not that guy. Good. Some kid's book, six to eight years old is the target, I guess. So, what? You know. I think I prefer Wonder Woman. She had a jet you could see through. Are you kidding me? Right. That is not in the movie, by the way. Why? Eh. What do you mean, eh? It's an invisible jet. Or is it, and you just don't see it? Oh, that's a good point. It was there on the tarmac, right next to Bill Clinton's jet and right next to Attorney General... Susan Rice? Susan Rice. Was it Susan? No. It wasn't Rice? Was it Rice? I don't know. Um, So did she become invisible when she was in the jet? She had to have, or she would have looked like a silly little lady flying flying in a... They always showed her in the cartoon flying in the invisible jet. Well, and then, but but she's sitting. Yeah, well, she's sitting there and you see like an outline of something. It's just kind of weird. They yeah. do have the lasso of truth, though. No, totally. Do yeah. they? Yeah. That's, I'm telling you. I thought that's where superheroes came alive to me. Because she was, Linda Carter was, she was smart and hardworking. And worked wife, a lasso like crazy. Wife of President Carter. Yeah. As we all know. Uh-huh. Uh, my First wife, lady. My wife would probably go see that movie for two reasons. What? Chris Pine. Really? Yeah. She she likes him? She likes a lot of the Chris's. Does she? Chris Hemsworth. Okay. Any other Chris's? Chris Evans. Oh, she does like Chris Evans. See? So she likes the three Chris's. Mm. Huh. They all get mistaken for each other, apparently. Chris too. Pratt, I don't... She could probably take her leave, but she likes the other three Chris's. Well, that's good for her. Kind of bad for you. <laughs> I mean, she's never going to meet any one of them. Oh, isn't she? No. We live in Utah. That's true. Good point. Can you spell the word Marocane? Is this one of those spelling bee questions? Yes, it is. This is the final word in the spelling bee. It's some kind of fabric. It's a dress fabric that is made of ribbed silk or rayon and um, a filling of other yarns. Hmm. Marocane. Go ahead, Jeffrey. (laughs) M-A-R-O... K-A-I-N. Sorry. Did you want to try? Ter- Terry no. already read the article. Yeah. M-A-R-O. That's what I said. I said M-A-R-O. No. Then you said K. Yeah. Okay. A-I-N. It's C. It's C-A-I-N. Yeah. I thought wouldn't it was going to be, no, you know. No, wouldn't it be better if immediately when they spelled the word wrong, the judges started like what you did laughing? <laughs> then you would know immediately. It's Well, I mean, you can see it on the screen. A 12-year-old beat 291 other spellers on that word, using that word. Ananya Vinay. Vinay? Hmm. That's her name. Yeah. Uh, spell it. V-I-N-A-Y. <laughs> Vinay. She, uh, she killed it. Can you imagine going through so many rounds, 291 spellers, your parents hiring coaches, and now you are the best speller in the entire universe, galaxy? Until next year. Yeah. She wins. Uh, she's taking home a $40,000 grand prize plus bragging rights. Mm. I mean, now 
you know, that's going on her resume. And she'll be on the local news or whatever city she lives in. Yeah. So she's got that going for her. Yeah. It's great. Every radio station in the country is bothering her parents. Right. Hey, we got your cell phone. I'm going to Disneyland. No, they don't say that. She didn't do that? Nope. Wouldn't that be annoying to be a spelling bee champion, though, and for the rest of your life, people would be asking you, oh, well, you know how to spell this. Spell this for me. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, it's kind of like the accountant. When you go to dinner with your friends and one's an accountant, they always have to split the checks. Right. Yeah. Here, figure this out. Now it's like, hey, let's have Ananya. Ananya, will you spell this for us? Ugh. I would just demand money up front. Well, yeah. pay me and I'll spell it for yeah. you. I don't, pay f- I don't spell for free. Pay me. Ooh, I hate cocky spelling bee winners, though. They're hard to be around. But Ananya won't be like that. Hey, we're going to take a break, though. When we come back, we're talking fake news, echo chambers, filter bubbles, all this, uh, all this information that's coming out, blaming or trying to make excuses for why President Trump won. Is it all just hype? Stick with us. Our next guest believes so. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Is it possible that we worry about fake news, echo chambers, Facebook algorithms, and filter bubbles a little too much? Uh, I'd say yes. We've had each one of those topics on our show over the last couple months. Can it really be as bad as we think? Well, Dr. William Dutton is a professor at Michigan State University, and he did a research study that was funded by Google to find out. And he's here with us today to talk about his research results and uh, to give us, I hope, uh, some good news as well. Dr. Uh, William H. Dutton, thank you for being with us today. Good morning, ma'am. Thank you for your interest in our research. You bet. Talk to me. Uh, just maybe define some terms for us. What uh, we've talked on the show, I, really, in the past probably two or three months, I think we've we've had at least five guests that have brought up each of these issues. Um, talk about what, and define for us what is fake news, what are echo chambers, and what are filter bubbles. Sure. Uh, well, fake news originally meant. Uh, websites or web platforms that uh, deliberately published fabricated stories uh, that were would draw people to their site uh, so that they could raise money on advertising. Okay, yeah. So this was a, a fairly narrow uh, slice, but now uh, so many people are using fake news in so many ways that it's just about anything you disagree with. Is <laughs> It's fake, fake news. <laughs> that we have a sounder on our show every time my board every time my co-host doesn't like what I'm saying, he puts up a Donald Trump fake news statement. It's but there rude. is there is something that is really fake news in a in a I say the traditional way that is a few months ago fake news wasn't even a a, a term used very often. Yeah, and we heard uh, after the election fake news is I mean we're bring, we're and Russia's the king of fake news and it's destroying everything and um, yeah, there's a lot of fear about it, which is probably yeah. important to your research. Talk about echo chambers. Well, the idea of an echo chamber is that people do like to read things that confirm their own views more than counter them. And uh, so we we like people who agree with us. And so there is a tendency for people to uh, read things that they agree with, also to uh, talk to people whom they agree with. Hmm. Uh, and with social media and being able to like people or uh, uh, block people from your uh, social media site and so forth, there may be, people are worried that people will cocoon themselves in a 
echo chamber where they just hear from people who agree with them and they don't get countervailing or diverse yeah. information. And we hear that. I've, I've heard that from a lot of guests as well, that especially people from the left think it seems like think that a lot of the the right that would fall for Trump were were stuck in their own echo echo chambers hearing what they wanted to hear. Well, I think whatever your your political persuasion, you you are susceptible to to uh, listening to your own views. Yeah, and no, So but... this confirmatory bias is very broad. And then filter bubbles. The idea of a filter bubble is uh, related to this in the sense that this is uh, has more to do with uh, search engines and the degree to which uh, as as search services aim to personalize search for you say, for uh, where you live, uh, for uh, what you've looked at before, for example, uh, uh, so that they, they address what you're looking for. Uh, there's a risk of um, the algorithms being used to personalize search, uh, putting you in a, what, what might be called another echo chamber or a filter bubble that uh, where you only you tend to get things hmm. that are in in line with your views or in line with your preferences and and don't get the diversity so that would be more healthier yeah so so all of these uh, fake news echo chambers some of the Facebook algorithms and other search algorithms and filter bubbles th- there's been a lot of hype a lot of belief that these this is constricting uh, our ability to learn our ability to be open-minded and your research is saying what about that? Well, we've uh, first of all, we surveyed uh, 14,000 Internet users in seven nations, uh, the United States, but also uh, Britain, France, Germany, Italy, Poland, Spain, and uh, about 2,000 people in each country, and, hmm. and they're Internet users. And w- what we found was that, of course, some people are fooled some of the time, but by and large, uh, the Internet and search and uh, uh, the way people, users, are, are using these tools are uh, likely to burst some of the, these bubbles and, uh, and uh, undermine fake news. Uh, for example, people, people tend to see not, for, for example, a filter bubble that search is, search is going to somehow personalize and distort uh, what you see, but... Uh, almost everyone who uses search, and many and most people use it almost daily, um, or more than once a day. Um, they also read other media sources, so uh, no one's locked in. Very few people are locked in a single media. There are uh, people who are online and interested in politics, for example, tend to uh, read four or more different media sources about political information. So, really? Yeah, oh, yeah. And so if people are interested in politics, they read everything they can find uh, across a variety of media. So the idea that someone is only using a, a particular search engine, and, and a lot of the previous research has been done on a single media platform like Facebook or Twitter and so forth. Hmm. So, But most people... Uh, use multiple media sources, and is, therefore they're less likely to be locked in any kind of filter bubble. Is that um, is that uh, mediums of communication? Is is it uh, TV? So, because your your study was done with people that use the internet, um, yeah. but if you're dealing with somebody that doesn't use the internet, then are they more likely to stay in an echo chamber of one news station or one news source? 
Well, that's a really good question because the uh, for, yes, we did. The worry about filter bubbles and echo chambers is around the internet. But what we found was that the individuals that are more interested in politics and who have skill and uh, in the use of the internet, ability to use the internet and search, are more likely to have more diversity to see. Uh, to check facts using search, to find and discover new information uh, that they don't censor or block people. They, they actually uh, tend to see uh, uh, a much wider variety of information. So that means that the people who may be at risk of, a, of, a, of, a, uh, of being in an echo chamber or a filter bubble are those who are less interested in politics and also who, um, who have less skill in using search. And and in that vein, it may well be that the people who are offline are the most likely not to see the diversity of information that uh, oh. that, that search can that online media can provide. For example, yeah. And man, talk about confirmation bias. Because if I'm sitting there listening to somebody that's defending a political position, but they're not too into politics, I might think they're ignorant because they're not well read. <laughs> And yet the reality is they're just not maybe that into politics, too. I mean, we I think we all assume that everybody lives and dies by if you're if you're a political junkie, you think everyone lives and dies like that. that, And the reality is, as many don't care. That's right. And I think uh, it is a very interesting problem of how you how you and uh, get people who are less interested in politics to uh, to get more informed. About any particular issue. Well, and then because the media sources are the ones, you know, we're listening to these talking heads, and the talking heads are the ones that probably keep perpetuating fake news ideas, echo chamber ideas, filter bubble ideas. They're the ones out making the news, um, right. and and a lot of them are political junkies. So, right. how does that work? Well, I do think that. Uh, I think that the, uh, there's no one media that uh, I think the, this notion of diversity, I think, is key. Hmm. And so if anyone just watches cable news programs or, or, or any single media, I think they're more likely to uh, uh, risk, uh, risk not seeing the diversity of information or countervailing viewpoints, uh, which are all very healthy. So. I'm not saying one media is particularly better, yeah. uh, and actually that varies cross-nationally, which media people feel more reliant on or more uh, perceived to be more reliable. You, you make um, some, I think, incredibly powerful and I think important points because we, we are using search engines more and more, and if we are using search engines, I guess short of them having filtering bubbles, they are going to give us a random, a more random a selection and offering of news sources, right? Yes, because uh, people don't, when people search for politics, they often search, the most common search people do is for a fact, uh, some kind of um, who was the certain president of the United States at a certain date or who's the prime minister of Britain and so forth. Uh, so, uh, and they often look for a topic like uh, today. I'm sure there are a lot of search, uh, a lot of searches around c- climate change, right? Or, or the uh, Paris uh, t- Treaty on climate change and so forth. So that people are not searching for a politically. Uh, they're searching for a topic, hmm. 
And so actually, a search brings diversity of, in, of viewpoints on that topic. Uh, likewise, social media. Um, many people who are on social media, they organize their social media not around politics, but around their friends and their family and their uh, acquaintances in high school and grade school and so forth. So they don't organize their lives around a political viewpoint. And therefore, they sometimes and often have more diversity of viewpoints on their social media and on search than they would in real life. Because uh, they may work and live in a neighborhood or in an office with uh, more homogeneous viewpoints on particular issues. Hmm. So overall, you found uh, then people that are, I guess, a little more tech savvy, um, a little more news uh, oriented, um, news curious, and or politics, political curious they're the ones that would probably be less fall less prey to fake news, echo chambers, and filter bubbles? That's what our research suggests, yes. And um, uh, so it's, so I think what that means is, is perhaps uh, the best thing we can do on, uh, on that count is to, is to make sure that we enhance digital, liter- digital media literacy, uh, but all media literacy, uh, as best as possible, um, and encourage people to look at a diversity of sources. Um, but, you know, the people who are not interested in politics are often interested in other things, medical yeah. and health information or sports, and they learn how to use search effectively in many of these, you know, whatever they're interested in, they they often use search um, as a mechanism for catching up on when a game is being played or you know what? What does a diagnosis mean of, uh, from their physician? And uh, this this enables people to develop skills in search that they can apply to any arena, and politics would be one. So, hmm. um, I think uh, in many respects, rather than search being a uh, risk, it's actually a real bubble burster because if people are uh, one of the things we found was that people often use search. Um, to check facts. So if they hear something on social media or they get in a debate with their family over something, they often use search as a way of uh, getting information oh, yeah. and contribute to the <laughs> Oh, I don't, I don't like it. Because, you know, it used to be that dad could just say something and everybody believed him. But now when yeah. I say something, all my kids are fact-checking me. Indeed, indeed. Uh, uh, the individual internet user can do fact-checking and actually hold the media uh, to account. Yeah. They can be watchdogs for the media as well. That's kind of nice. They're also their father. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. It ruins, yeah, it ruins family time, but it's great for the media. Hey, um, one other question, and then I will take a break and come back. Um, I want to know about demographics. So if, if this tends to be, it almost sounds like you know, people that are also used to using the internet for searching and are, are kind of actively searching or curious, um, does they tend to do better in, in not falling for some of these things and getting stuck in echo chambers? It, does that does that lean toward one political party over another? Is one political party more internet friendly, tech savvy, search or, or engine oriented, more educated toward searching? Uh, I, I don't think so. I think the uh, uh, what we, in terms of uh, political 
we we looked at a number of political orientations, like when a person whether they were more populist or hmm. uh, much much more uh, elitist in their views, or if they were. Uh, we actually did look at political party. It, quite interestingly, on uh, the political party affiliations, it was very difficult to ask in our across the seven nations. Yeah, true. Uh, because it's so uh, parties vary so much, but I I think it's. The primary variable was interest in politics. Uh, if you're very interested or somewhat interested in politics, you're more likely to use search no matter what your political orientation. Hmm. For example, populism, if, you're, if you believe in popular uh, notions of, uh, that uh, the, you know, people know as much or more than some of the leaders, for example, then uh, uh, that doesn't really uh, predict the use of search. It's interest in politics and or involvement online in political activity, such as signing petitions. Yeah. Okay. Now, that makes sense. Let's take a break. Again, we're speaking with William H. Dutton, uh, Dr. William H. Dutton, a professor at Michigan State University who's done this wonderful research study funded by Google across seven nations, 14,000 people. When we come back, we'll, we'll talk about some of the differences in, in uh, the other countries, the non-American, non-United States uh, countries in the study. Some interesting facts and, uh, and learnings that I think uh, might impact all of our, our view of how we use the Internet. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. Today we're talking about fake news, echo chambers, filter bubbles. Is it as big of a threat to our lives, our democracy, the world, as we keep hearing in the news? Well, according to our guest, William H. Dutton, uh, Dr. Dutton is a professor of Mich- at Michigan State University, and he did a research study funded by Google about um, where they, he studied and evaluated 14,000 people in seven nations. And one of the things he's teaching us is maybe it's all a little overhyped. Um, they're making a, a bigger deal about this than, than maybe is warranted. Um, Dr. Dutton, again, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Matt. I mean, it sounds like, though, echo chambers, these things, these things can exist. They're, they might be real in, with certain people um, that maybe don't have – that don't do internet searching, that don't use the internet as much, that aren't – as politically active and interested, um, it's just. But overall, if you're using a search engine to get a lot of your information, it's probably not as big of a threat as you think. Uh, I agree, and I think also that uh, the people who use search uh, more often uh, are also more looking at other media more often as well. Yeah. So, uh, so this diversity of media sources is also one of the factors that undermines. Uh, this my concern over, or over some of the uh, panic over uh, echo chambers. And you you so. researched seven countries. Um, we've talked about a lot of the data was coming from the United States. Um, talk about what you learned from the other countries of Europe. Well, this was interesting as well. First of all, there's a lot of commonality. We only looked at uh, 
uh, some of the more economically developed countries, so the uh, uh, nations within the EU, the larger nations in the EU, and also uh, the U.S. in North America. But what we, I think, the most important general tendency was that um, in Germany, particularly, but also in France and Britain, there was a a relatively greater trust in broadcast media. Uh, and in Poland and Italy and Spain, there was a relatively greater trust in the Internet and search as a, uh, as a, a means for finding reliable information. That's interesting. So the, they trust yeah. – so Germany trusts uh, – I guess Germany, London, did you say France trust um, broadcast media more? For their information, yeah, yes, they have a traditional a public a tradition of public service broadcasting, and of course, the you know you can we identify the Britain almost with the yeah. BBC, and but uh, clearly Germany, France, and Britain have a tradition of public service broadcasting where they they continue to have a, a great trust in in broadcast television news, for example, and are more skeptical of of the internet and social media in particular. Hmm. All countries have some greater skepticism of social media as a source of news. But, um, but, but uh, Germany, France, and Britain, in, Internet users there are, are particularly so. Would that make those countries more susceptible to these bubbles? Well, I think they're more likely to agree to, with the national story, the national media. Uh, and uh, that's a really good point. But uh, I, I think the... Uh, there are other reasons. I mean, I think this—it's the the traditions and trust in the in uh, national media that uh, are, abide by it, and also skepticism about, uh, for example, Google and search generally. I mean, nine in the U.S. only about eighty-five percent of internet users use Google, and mm. and there's a lot there's. Sometimes you don't even know what search engine you're using because there's everybody's trying to grab search services in, yeah. in various ways. But um, in in your across Europe, it's more like ninety percent of of uh, internet users are using Google, and so there's um, and it's an American company, or perceived to be an American country co- company, even though it is obviously a global company. But the um, so there is various reasons for skepticism, but nevertheless there is, and and it could well be that. Um, uh, it would be more likely for uh, this is going to be controversial, but I would say that um, in countries that are more reliant on broadcast media, that it's more likely that you have a common text mm-hmm. and a common understanding of what what might be happening in any particular news area or news story. Yeah, and I guess I mean that could be. Uh, I mean, some would say, well, yes, of course, because they're all following journalistic protocols, and but some of it too is. Out in the crazy world wide web, you know, you're free to say stuff. You're you dare say stuff. You might even publish stuff with one source or no source. Or I mean, it, it's I guess standards are different. Yes, but I think, uh, for example, some people refer to the social media as fake news. But right. I think that's terribly unfair because I think the one of the more democratic virtues of the internet is that is that it enables people to source their own information or to be sources of information. Mm-hmm. So the idea of people posting video from a protest site, for example, or uh, 
more and more that traditional broadcast news and, and media are relying on uh, Internet users as sources of their information about what's going on in live in a particular uh, site of, of, of a, story, a developing story, for example. Yeah. But also uh, checking news stories and, and posting about that. So, I mean, I argue that uh, the idea that individuals are becoming sources and can source their own news through search, for example, um, uh, is, in, is empowering internet users and this is a but and they should but they shouldn't be held to the same standard as say the bbc if, if the bbc has a hundred people fact checking of whether a social media post was really a photograph from that site at that time uh individual users can't do that obviously right um so, so we have to always look at social media somewhat differently than a than a uh professional broadcasting organization. So as you look at uh, your research and um, what, what are your biggest takeaways for somebody that, that really wants to intentionally become, you know, digitally savvy and and skilled at, at, at knowing the truth, how, how would you suggest is the best way we go about doing that? Well, I think... Uh I think that, first of all, the do not be frightened by the panic over echo chambers and search bubbles, <laughs> whatever. The uh, uh, I think that the Internet is actually a mechanism by which you can get more diverse sources of information. Everything that's on broadcast news is available online, for example. So clearly uh, look at multiple sources. Uh, uh, learn how to use search effectively so that you uh, are sure that if, if you feel like you're getting um, fed information from one particular uh, uh, political party or uh, uh, interest group or uh, that you that you use search to actually find more diverse information. Oh. This is, so uh, these tools are quite flexible. And the other thing, people... People don't block people who disagree with them. People uh, actually uh, uh, enjoy hearing diverse views, and they. Mm. But generally, people uh, do uh, say they don't block people. They don't unfriend people that happen to make a political comment. Um, and uh, and people discover new things online. So I think it's. Um, I think the one thing is don't panic. This is, uh, you know, in the very early days of the internet. Um, the primary problem, the, inter the uh, Internet was called a great big garbage dump of yeah. <laughs> information. And it, it was impossible to find good information. So uh, people started creating lists of sites that people could go to where there was decent information to look at, say news or sports information and so forth. And those evolved into search engines. So these positive recommender systems are ways of finding good information among this garbage dump of, of uh, everything in the world that's available. And so really, search is a mechanism for finding what you want. Not a, uh, and so um, I, I would not, I would, I would really lie, rely on uh, the effective, careful use of search as a way of bursting bubbles mm. and opening echo chambers. That's, as best as possible. I think that's great, uh, great advice and some hope. I think some light too in the in this 
this uh, internet world where we tend to be so negative about it, there is hope. There's hope there. And uh, we appreciate you being with us, Dr. William H. Dutton, uh, professor at Michigan State University. Um, and thank you for your great research and study there. I'm telling you, that's actually – that's really good news. People don't just immediately unblock you because you have a different view than than them. That's great insight as well. I mean, you got to search. That's the point, right? Use your search engines more to to spread out your learning and make sure you're you're sourcing multiple sources. You know, you already do that when you go to Walmart and you're shopping for a better price. You'll check Target. You'll check all the other stores. Just do the same thing on your news. We'll take a break. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, Terry's got a little fun for us. You you bought you brought in your spinner collection. Yes, I brought my fidget spinners today. Now, why'd you do that? I don't know. Why not? It's Friday. We're going to play with fidget spinners. You brought you've and got quite the yeah. Let's see if I make this one. Hear that? Yeah, that's my fidget cube. That's a nice. So thing. you might as well have left the office early. Yeah, which is fitting. Well, yeah, today is leave the office early day, and Terry apparently came, but he never I'm arrived. Going. That's a lot of you do a lot of fidgeting apparently. No, I just they're all like two bucks, so it's yeah they're cheap. And the do my, they, my kid loves them. Do they help you? No. Okay. Now I use the cube when I drive. Why? Because it's got a, like a light switch. Type yeah. Thing here, it's got a little spinner. It's got some kind of like a top of a pin. Oh man. Type of thing. There's a, a metal ball that rolls yeah that's not even worth two bucks and a little zapper i'll sit there with my one hand and just sit here and do this when i'm driving yeah that one i like the one that clicks like that that's nice you get the little i mean and you just you just play with it and it's like mindless doing that but you're you're getting all that energy out as you just sit in your car have you ever thought of just like driving well i do that i don't use it all the time but occasionally i'll pick it up and just fiddle with it okay well, I was wondering what those were all for. Now the spinners, they're they're I really doubt any therapeutic. There's not. But my kid's getting really good at doing tricks with it. Like he can spin it and throw it and flip it and catch it in right. the, on the other side. It's kind of cool. Now we're I've seen reports of fidget spinner related injuries. Oh yeah. People getting hit in the face. Yeah. People are swallowing the bearings that are in them, so they're saying keep them away from your little See, kids. See, these kids have bigger problems than fidgeting. They're eating bearings. Uh, We'll take a break, my friends. Come back next hour. More fun, more ideas to help you live longer, love stronger. This is the Matt Townsend Show. the matt townsend show your guide on the side follow dr matt on twitter at dr matt show call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU this is the matt townsend show dr matt townsend now on byu radio byu radio welcome back friends hour number two of the program if you happen to have missed the first hour come on knock it off go check it out on oh, I- come on on itunes on tune in BYUradio.org. Uh, go to matttownsend.com. It's everywhere, folks. 
if you keep missing it, and or buy a nice car that gives you six months of free Sirius XM satellite. Mine does that. But it also reminds me once a month that I have not um, signed up with the service. Yeah, and, don't don't take that free offer because they'll never leave you alone after that. Oh, really? Yeah. You'll get notices in the mail for the rest of your life. Well, see, since I bought my new car, I haven't been able to switch my service from my old car to my new car. So I can't even listen to myself. And that's it's been heaven. Oh, I thought it's you were going to say that was been heaven. <laughs> driving you nuts that you couldn't no, listen to yourself. No. My wife says it's nice too. Yeah. Less is more. That's what she says. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Hey, happy National Donut Day. That's a place where where more is less. There's a hole in the donut, dear Liza, dear Liza. Now keep going. That was a different day, wasn't it? That was a couple days ago. Uh, National Donut Day. The history of the donut isn't clearly known, but what is known is their iconic look started making an appearance in the United States in the mid-1800s. Rumor has it a gentleman by the name of Hanson Gregory invented them out of a distaste for the undercooked centers and greasiness of the existing shapes and options. You know that undercooked – yeah, like if it was a – what do they call those? Donut holes? Cake? No. um, (laughs) Fried bread. Yes. What do they call that? A scone. So if it was like a scone, sometimes the center of the scone might be greasy and undercooked. So, hey, let's take the center out. Bada boom, bada bing. And you got yourself a donut. Hmm. A donut scone. Yeah. A sconut? Mm. Oh, there used to be a company called Sconuts. Scronut. Sconuts? Let's t- let's move on. Sconuts. Yeah, those are good. Cronuts. Cronuts. Yeah. <laughs> People are dying for them. We've had them. Uh, it's a croissant they're, donut. They're, they're one of our sponsors on the show, Cronuts. Um, also, leave the office earlier day. Today's the day, uh, apparently, because it's on my paper here. You're all free to leave. Yeah, go ahead. Leave a little earlier today than you normally would. There goes Jeff. The funny thing is the engine, that engine sound does not, could not create enough torque to spin those wheels. Speaking of donuts, Jeff just I, to I love to do donuts in the BYU broadcasting parking lot. Oh, do you? While eating donuts. In your Solara? Yes. You you can do a donut in your Solara? Absolutely. I would pay to see that. I'll pay you five bucks to go do a donut in the Solara. Actually, the Solara, it's in mint condition. It It really really is. is. I mean, it really is. The lady took great care of that car. I wish I had bought that. Really? Kind of sad. Anyway, are you uh, still having car regret? A little bit, a little bit of the car regret. Wow, I, it's a great car. It, don't get me wrong; it's a great car. I just wish someone else had had it. <laughs> um, we got a lot to talk about today. Are we happy yet? See, this is my problem: is I'm not happy because I'm violating all of the rules of happiness. Like I should just accept what I've got, accept right. what it is. Mm. I'm having a hard time accepting it. So we will do an interview with Lisa Cypress Kamen about how to find happiness, especially like at work, too. Like if you don't love your job, if you don't love work, how to still find happiness in life and in work. It's a wonderful interview that we recorded just a few days ago. So we'll get to that fun stuff. Uh, Plus ahead also, 
um, some empty news we got to talk about, including, um, you know, if you can't get good grades, then at least be able to hack into the computer systems at the college to change the grades. Learn at least that. That's right. great advice. Yeah. Or don't cheat. Just get a good grade. Yeah. So like study? Study. Show up to yeah. class. Read. Get rid of your fidget spinners. No, no, no. You need to have more. Can you all spinners. hear the fidget spinners that Terry is playing with? They're fun. He's the only guy that I've ever seen spinning two fidget spinners at one time. It's Trying. probably a good thing you didn't have these, Terry, yeah. uh, back when you were going to like youth dances. Because there's always there were all the, always those guys that would like come up and do these magic tricks like with the floating credit card. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And I don't ever recall those guys dancing with any girls. Yeah, I didn't go to those. Yeah, no. But they did make a lot of money. If you can float a credit card, it's you're a in a whole different world. It's a skill. Uh, we'll get to all of that fun plus more uh, dance moves and insight about dancing from Jeff. <laughs> Straight ahead. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on that we need to be worried about? Nearly half the recent immigrants to the United States have college degrees, reflecting a steady increase in educational attainment fueled by largely by growing numbers of people from Asia, the study released Thursday showed. Rising immigration from countries such as India, China, and the Philippines helped increase the share of arrivals with a bachelor's degree to 48%. Between 2011 and 2015, from 27 percent in the five years through 1990, according to analysis of a U.S. Census data by the Migration Policy Institute. Now, what's uh, that's interesting, yeah. but uh, this isn't illegal immigration. These are people going through the visa process. Oh, so, oh I, I thought, but I, we're, we've been told that illegal immigrants cost us so much money. Right. But it sounds like these people are bringing a lot of skills. Yeah. To our world. And these would be the uh, the H-1B type visas yeah. that these people are, are yeah. using. So kind of interesting when yeah. they just toss it out there, but it's illegal immigration that people are concerned about, right. not the people coming in the exactly. legal way. Humans aren't the only species that passes knowledge along to the next generation. A new study by primatologists at Who? the University of St. Andrews discovered that chimpanzees also engage in cumulative practice, a process that allows subsequent generations to build on the skills honed by their elders. Oh, they hand down their they learning. They hand down their learning. They did it with uh, some straws yeah. and being able to drink for, with the straw, and then they gave out some more complicated straws. And like someone, the twirly ones, yeah. Someone figured out how to use it, and then they passed it on, and the rest of the group immediately picked up on That's it. That's cool. And so they're showing that they passed down information. We were thought to be the only ones to do that. Ah. So what do you think? Is that good or bad? It's great. Because when you have the, uh, like, there's another Planet of the Apes movie coming out. I think this is different than that. Is it? Yeah, I think a little I mean, bit. You don't want to organize the apes. They'll, you know, they'll move to other planets. They'll move to the redwood forests and take over the planet. It's a great point. That's how, that's how the movie goes. It's a great a point. A seven-year-old Washington state woman has been reunited with loved ones after an ordeal that trapped her in her car at the bottom of an embankment for five days. Sharon Learning was driving back from her vacation home on Tuesday when she suffered a medical emergency that left her sleepy, dizzy, and with part of her face dragging down a little. Oh, boy. Sounds described. Sounds like a stroke. Possibly. Not sure. Because they, they're still trying to figure it out. She knew that she was in trouble right before as she flew off Highway 12 and 30 feet down the embankment. She wasn't due home until Thursday, so her family didn't report her missing until then. And they joined the search for learning who was in the who was in the early stages of dementia. Hmm. Her own nephew found her Sunday when he noticed a flattened bush 
and a tree with a str- was stripped off bark, followed by yelling. Learning couldn't move due to her injuries, so she had to lean on the horn for a couple of days until the battery died. Holy cow. She used a tiny bit of water she had to keep her mouth moistened to scream for help and uh, subsisted on two bananas. There were also Pop-Tarts, but she was worried that she would choke. Uh, of the condition oh, yeah, she, was she in. probably couldn't move her tongue very well. So she had a busted knee, ankle, heel, as well as a chest rupture, but she's now in good spirits, and she's already planned her next trip down to the beach, her family says. What an amazing woman. Hopefully Holy with cow. somebody else there yeah, with her. Take uh, someone with you. Somebody needs to drive Miss Daisy. That's and, What's her name? Her name is Sharon Learning. What an amazing feat. I yeah. mean, can you imagine just honking your horn until the battery dies? The battery dies. Just lean on it. Yeah. Like, how tedious would just that be? Oh, uh, boy. Finally, you don't need to risk scalding yourself in order to get clean hands. According to researchers, washing your hands in cold water is just as effective as reducing bacteria as washing your hands in hot water. That, based on a small study of 21 people, which is probably the fallacy of the. Uh, the research is yeah. 21 people. Over a six-month period, Rutgers University researchers covered participants' hands in harmless bacteria, then asked them to wash their hands 20 times each with water at around 60 degrees, 79 degrees, and 100 degrees. <laughs> they also experimented with the amount of soap used, either 0.5, 1, or 2 millimeters. No matter the amount of soap or the water temperature, the amount of bacteria removed when washing was the same. Current FDA rec- uh, recommendations for restaurants uh, ask them to use water at 100 degrees for hand washing, but researchers say there should now be a policy change. Huh. While the CDC notes individuals can use either warm or cold water, it also recommends washing hands vigorously for at least 20 seconds. The Rutgers study, however, found that washing for 10 seconds significantly removed bacteria from the hands. Wow. I've also heard that it has a lot to do with how you dry your hands. Yeah, if you dry them on your Levi's. I've heard don't use – actually, I've heard it's better to wipe them on your jeans than it is to use the air dryer because it's all about the friction. So you want to get the the paper towels or even if you had to and there weren't any paper towels, you could just wipe them on your jeans. But it's so much better than air drying them. But aren't your jeans dirty? But the air dryer is not doing anything. It's just blowing water. I off. use it for my hair yeah. sometimes. Like after we've been to a public pool, I'll just kind of squat underneath there and dry out my hair that way. It works so well. Yeah, of course. I think I've seen. <laughs> and then I look like a bird that's been through yeah. like a, a windstorm. I think I've stood in line behind you. <laughs> Come on, man. Got to wash my hands. Waiting for you to. <laughs> that's funny. Well, these are the private bathrooms. These aren't the public bathrooms no, I'm where I'm holding you. anybody else up. I'm with you. No, I can. No. I'm with you. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, I think the bigger problem that we're we're not talking about is the fact that you actually have to wash your hands. Yeah, a lot of people don't. I mean, I, I don't – I have a hard time believing that most people working at restaurants are washing their hands with 100-degree yeah. water and 0.2 But this research shows that you don't, you don't need to. No, I know, but no one's following the rules anyway. Okay. To me, that's a bigger problem. I'd rather you just wash your hands. It, Cold it, water. Where's the study to get that shows you how to get people to wash their hands? Right. Hmm. And then I want – because if we do that study, I think that would be fascinating. Plus, if we could do a study to figure out how to get the guy to not blow dry his hair with the hand dryer. Right. 
in a public bathroom. A lot of gyms put the hair dryer higher on the wall yeah. so you can get under it. That's the one you use, That's not the, the hand dryer. Yeah, you don't want to be squatting under a little hand dryer. Yeah, it's a little hey, awkward. if you want to go eat somewhere where you know that you can be safe, uh, go to In-N-Out Burger. We, or, not, but or, we don't name names of or companies. Flynn and Gout Burger. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's probably not going to sell many burgers, is it? No, it worse, but yeah. uh, they are very strict about it. Like anytime they scratch yeah. their face yeah. or touch money with their bare hands, they have to go wash their hands well, immediately after. You know why? Because they have Finn and Gout. Flynn and Gout. Flynn and Gout. Yeah. Sounds painful. Hey, um, we've got uh, a crazy story here. Um, Let's say you're a student in college and you're really smart, but you're kind of partying and life's – you don't want to go to school. So you're getting an F grade in his engineering class. So he logged into a faculty computer and he changed it. According to University of Central Florida Police, Sami Adel Amar, 22, was arrested Tuesday on a warrant after detectives linked him to the grade change. A UCF engineer professor said he received an email on May 4th from the university's electronic gradebook program thanking him for approving his grade roster. But the professor said he had approved the roster much earlier in the day. Hmm? So there was a late approval that snuck in, and he had already received an earlier confirmation, so he knew that this was another grade change. Hmm. Got him. The professor then checked the grade roster and uh, said he was surprised to find out that uh, the class grade was for Sammy Amar and his grade was changed from an F to a B. Boy, come on, Sammy, go for an A, man. So he worked harder to change his grade than to actually get a good grade. Yeah. The professor tried to change the grade back but received an error message. The professor said he recognized Amar's name because he had only completed one assignment all semester. So apparently this would have been easier to pull off if if Sammy had been working during the day because it would have come in earlier. Maybe that wouldn't have been as big of a surprise. And if he had actually done more than one assignment. Lessons for cheating. Mm. Do more than one assignment, folks. That's crazy. Apparently there's more and more cheating going on. Um, Amar was then seen on security footage going into room 306, uh, you know, the infamous room 306, which is where the IP address tagged him for getting online. So he was busted. Busted. By the way, great engineer, though. Apparently. You'll love it in prison, Sammy. He's not going to prison. He's going to – he's going to have to stay after school. He'll pay a fine and he probably gets kicked out of school. He'll go to detention. He'll have to put his head down on the desk. That's yeah. what I had to do in detention. He'll be working at uh, Flynn and Gout Burgers <laughs> for the rest <laughs> of his life. A little Flynn and Gout. All right, folks. Uh, we're going to talk happiness when we come back. If you're down, if you're out, if you just can't find happiness, uh, eight keys to unlocking happiness in your life up next. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Here's the deal. We're supposed to have happiness in life, right? It's not supposed to just be this miserable experience where it slowly sucks everything out of us and then supposedly we gain wisdom. There should be happiness. So to help us find the happiness today is our guest, Lisa uh, Kuypers. 
Cayman, is that how you say it, Lisa? Cypress Cayman. Cypress, pretty, pretty good, though. Lisa Cypress Cayman. And Lisa is – this is such a joy, Lisa, because, A, you don't live in Utah, but you happen to be here today. So yeah. to have you in studio, so much more valuable for me because then I can really get a feel for you. But I love what you've been doing. You, you're the author of the book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. But you've put together also a really neat, I think, approach to harvesting happiness on the website, harvestinghappiness.com, a charity. You're trying to basically help people find happiness despite all of the pain that life brings. Indeed. Uh, you know, I like to tell people I work in the dark side. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which is uh, the antithesis of what you think of when you think of happiness, no, right? exactly. But you use positive psychology and a lot of coaching in positive psychology. Explain, first of all, what is positive psychology? Because we talk about it a lot on the show, but it's, it's a completely different turn of psychology. It's trying to take it a different direction. Indeed. When you think of psychology, we usually think of traditional psychotherapy where we're trying to figure out why we are the way we are. And it's really looking at life in the rearview mirror. With positive psychology, it's really looking at those attributes of people who report themselves to be happy and then teaching people how to do those things that bring greater happiness. And so instead of stopping what doesn't make you happy, doing what does. Yes, I'll have more of what she's having. Remember that famous scene when Harry met Sally? I love that. (laughs) It really is. That's the key, isn't it? It's, it's It's almost like focusing on happiness starts to help create solutions, ideas, tools, and then interestingly, the byproduct becomes happiness. Yes. It's, well, it's the gift. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it, it's, a gift's a great way to look at it. It really is the gift. And, and if you look at um, happiness is something that comes when you have passion, purpose, place, yeah. meaning, when you make meaning out of the things that have happened to us in our lives, because life is not always happy. If, no. we're, if we're breathing, hard. we're going we're gonna to have challenges. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, whether it's yours, your kids, family, friends. Yes. And I guess life is inherently um, – there, there's, this, there's this opposition that we run into. A lot of us think that happiness would mean there would be no opposition. But you need the opposition. You need the troubles. You need the trials. And out of that can become a gift or could come a gift of happiness. Well, it's contrast heightens awareness, right? So without the dark, you wouldn't be able to savor the light and vice versa. So I think it's really important to recognize that when we are undergoing something that is difficult, it's where can we see the silver lining in the challenge that has been placed before us. Is this a mindset that people, I mean, are you kind of born with a happiness, positive seeking mindset or, or can you learn it? You can learn it. We are we are born with a certain emotional set point, yeah. which they say is sixty percent, but forty percent of that can be influenced, can be can be retrained. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you think yeah. about the the neuroplasticity of our brains, it's really about training and practice. And this is why positive psychology coaching is so successful for these transformations. Because if you look at emotional fitness similar to physical fitness, if you want to become thinner, you want to become more muscular, yeah. you go about training you know, with diet, exercise, a nutritional supplementation, and repetition. The same holds true for emotional well-being. And you, you really build a discipline. Yes, Indeed. And the interesting thing I'm finding, too, about my own positive psychology coaching is it's actually – many times it's much more efficient. It's faster. Yes. Because you're actually moving to the solution faster than regurgitating the problem. Well, if you look at it it, from this perspective – 
traditional psychotherapy is all about the why. Right. And positive psychology is all about the how. How, yeah. Get it going. Yeah, and, move it. <laughs> and, and what's funny is a lot of us know a million things we don't want, but by focusing on what you do want, then it's just – we just have to operationalize that. Let's just do what you do want then. Yes. How do we get there and we get to the how? Practice, repetition, yeah. repeat. You know? Over and over and over. Now, in your practice, you also – you, you kind of take on happiness in a lot of ways where you help with addictions, you help with PTSD, uh, traumatic, post-traumatic stress issues and, and kind of regaining your life and yourself after post-traumatic stress. Do you – can you see that – can you inject light and positivity into anything? I believe so. I, I do too. Yeah. I think that we can see the silver lining in almost any situation. And when we help people refocus their attention and their attitudes, it helps transform the situation. You can't change what has happened. Right. None of us can no. change the traumas that have occurred in our lives. And we all have been traumatized yeah, right. about something. Something. <laughs> right. Well, I guess if you live long enough, you will be traumatized. Yes. So if you haven't, it's coming. It's but, coming, yeah. And not, I guess, not to fear it, but to know that there's hope on the other side. Yes, and how we relate to the issue really then becomes the issue. It's mm-hmm. not It's not the trauma itself. It's the relationship yeah. we form around our attitudes and our actions over what has happened to us. Yeah, because that's it. Because you, you have to make sense and meaning of the event. And yes. if you do it, I guess, out of a negative bent or a negative – which you're already negative because the experience was horrible. It's almost you could see how you might spiral in it because it just keeps perpetuating more negativity. Yes, yeah, so and then we have the the opportunity to rise above the challenge Do of self something. To, yeah. of self mastery. Yeah. You know, this it's the self mastery component. Like you don't have control over much. Yeah. But the one person that we do have control over is ourselves and our attitude. Yeah. And do and and use that to start to take on a solution. Yes. How do you? Um, because you you actually relate these things not just to work but to family to life and i mean i guess i guess as we build the discipline of this does it get easier and easier or what i mean i guess i'm looking at it like at some point if you're super good at these skills does nothing bother you oh i don't think that nothing Bothers or do, you. Does it just does it just give you another the next thing's just the next test. It's just the next angle to try to implement the principles on. I think the resiliency becomes greater. So the ability to bounce back more quickly and efficiently when bad things do happen yeah. becomes improved. Because bad things are gonna happen till the day we die. Oh right. Can't you can't well, stop it. Well think of everyone you love that's older than you will predecease you, pre-die, and, or die before you, and just the pain and the trauma. And it's also interesting, the more I love my family, the more I get to know my family, the more kids I have or grandkids I have, and the more love I have for them, it seems to increase the risk of pain, but also the joy. So there's this, it's this interesting paradox. But risk is essential for happy people. Exactly. You know, that we must be healthy risk takers in order to continue to grow and stretch ourselves and live our live life t- to the fullest. Mm. Risk is essential. And and what about the person that's averse to risk? I would say that they probably have a limited experience of the spectrum of emotion. Yeah, they they would probably yeah, they'd hide away so much that they aren't experiencing enough of the spectrum. 
And a lot of people do hide out, right? They don't yeah. want to feel their feelings. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They don't want to lose something. Right. So they, will, so they don't have anything. Right. They don't have anything or they'll be emotionally walled off. So if you don't want to feel any sadness, you're also limiting the ability to feel, feel great joy hmm. because it, it, it's warehoused in the same part of the brain, emotion. Right, right. Isn't that interesting? And the funny thing, too, we, we talk about on the show a lot is how your brain can't always discern you know, pain from good pain or bad pain. It's pain, right? So yes. you might have your natural fight or flight reactions to something that actually could be very good for you. Yeah. I, I like what you said about the brain not discerning pain. Yeah. And when the, when, the, when the brain is sensing physical pain or emotional pain, it cannot – It doesn't know the difference. It doesn't know the difference. All it does know, because we are pleasure-seeking missiles as human beings, yeah. is it wants to be out of the pain. Mm-hmm. It wants to be out of the discomfort. And we're pretty creative about the ways we, yeah. we, want, we find our way out of discomfort. And, it, and like one of those ways, I guess, is we as humans, we're really good at making up stories. Oh, yeah. And that because that, the story can either become how we rationalize our pain, how we justify it. So talk about storytelling and happiness. Ah, well, I think this goes back to perspective. Yeah. You know that you we are we are all natural storytellers and it's important in my view to tell our story. It's an, it's important to tell those parts of our lives to others to be witnessed, to be heard and seen yeah. and understood. And many of us never get the opportunity to do that. And when we feel that we've been fully seen and understood, I think that that's part of that unconditionally yeah. loving feeling. Is that, what the, is that where the healing comes? I think so. Because now it's almost like if you could hear my story fully, I start to um, maybe need the story less. Yeah. And I don't have to hang on to the trauma. Like what I worry about with people that have been through a lot of trauma is if we keep making them about their trauma, then they carry this burden of always needing their trauma to be who they are. Right. The identified yeah, patient they, yeah, syndrome. Right? now identified with right. it. Right. I have PTSD or I'm a PTSD yeah. person. Well, then I would ask somebody in that condition, tell me the best parts of you – that were developed because of that trauma. And so you can turn it into the positive. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. what did you learn about yourself? Yeah. If I had not been through X, Y, or Z, right. I wouldn't have discovered that I'm resilient, that I have the ability to laugh at myself or the ability to laugh at these crazy situations when they present yeah. themselves or that I have – or that I'm more courageous than I thought that I was. So really, what you're, you're not a PTSD survivor. You are resilient, courageous – and a thriver. And a thriver, someone that can – so in a way, that, that becomes my new frame. Yes. And, it, and, the, and the term is, is post-traumatic growth, PTG, right? That's so great. what did I learn from the situation? Oh, How did I take something that was really awful yeah. and make it something that serves me? Mm. Let's, um, let's get into this because I, I feel like there's so many ways we could, we could try to, to actually exercise and practice our happiness. Let's take a break, come back, and I want you to walk us through – you wrote an article about five ways to be happier in a job you hate. So if somebody really hates their job, I want you to show us how to process it, how to kind of get to the next level where we can enjoy our job. Interesting stuff. Uh, more with Lisa Cypers, uh, Cayman. Again, go to her website, harvestinghappiness.com, harvestinghappiness.com, and you can check out her book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. Stick with us. We're going to get you happy one way or another. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us, Lisa Cypress Kamen. And uh, she she pretty much does everything you can imagine. She's an author, a speaker, a radio talk show host as well. She has a popular uh, podcast, uh, downloadable radio show, Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. Uh, you can just Google that, or you can go to her website, HarvestingHappiness.com. You can also look at her book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlo- Unlocking a Joyful Life. She is a joy herself, but also, uh, really, I think you're changing lives. I mean, it's there's nothing harder than some of the people I know you work with, trauma patients, uh, addicts, addiction recovery programs, post-traumatic stress. These are the hardest things I've ever seen people deal with. Yeah. So to have a little hope and actual tools to find positivity, powerful. Well, I probably should share one other angle, and that is that I'm a reformed depressed person. You're, you've done it I've done yourself. it. I've been there and I've done that. I was taken out by depression for one full year. Oh, wow. And um, I know what's possible. I, I know that it is possible oh. to heal and to bounce back. Because depression, once it kind of gets that hook in you, you do start to spiral, don't yes. you? Because you can't, you can't always just think your way out of it at first because your thinking's impacted by your depression. Yes. Yeah, Everyone's it, like, just, just get over it. Just get out in the garden. Yeah. But you're like, I'm depressed. Yeah. Well, it's, I think depression recovery is more about the doing yeah. because the, the thinking is skewed in yeah. depression. So you've got to preempt it with action. Yes. It has. Some would preempt it with meds or medication, but you can also preempt it with movement activity. And sometimes both are required. Exactly. You know, to help somebody to, uh, get, get them down off the ledge, they may benefit yeah. greatly from medication. But then it's really about structure, discipline, and action as well as the therapeutic angle, you know, talking through what's going on. But I believe it's possible. I mean, I've seen it. Yeah, I've you've seen been it. there. Yes. No, I think that's – and that's so important that we hear, right? Yes. Um, talk about – okay, so if I go to work every day and it's one of these things where I didn't even want the job. I, I'm here because I – you know, I couldn't go to law school or whatever it was. How and, – and I'm stuck and I'm miserable. But, and you're sitting here telling me I can still find happiness – yeah, I, but, I think it's possible to find happiness in anything my job, we do. But my job is hor- – you, uh, you do not know where I work. You've never met my boss. So they start to tell you these yes. stories. So how would you help me reform my situation, change it into something really positive and powerful? First of all, we go back to the perspective. You know, um, what is your attitude when you show up f- for work oh, in the morning? You yeah. know, if you have a miserable attitude – or are you that guy that's got like a halo around your head of light yeah. where people like to talk to you because you're, you're, you're putting your best foot forward. You're, you're, you're trying to make your job, your little corner of the world, a better place. And I think this is really important because you can be a janitor. In, totally. In, in, you can do any job. You can do any job and do it like you are a, a king. No, don't you think? Right. Like, But I guess at some point – you have to own it, right? You have to own – one of the points I know you talk about is you have to own um, – you have to – you don't hand over your level of happiness to anything else, to anyone else, to your job. You don't. You have to own it. You have to own it, but it, nobody can rob you of joy. It's like you know, my kids will say to me, you made me mad. I'm like, uh-uh, I didn't make you mad. <laughs> don't go there, right? Don't go there. You know, you, you reacted. 
yeah. to something that I said or I did. And I think that's the other thing when we talk about reactivity. This is an area where we can take back some control. Yeah. And this is important, especially in the workplace, right, where we might have a boss that we dislike or a coworker who's a pain in the butt. The, the idea is we can control our own process around this. Mm. And this is a good challenge. This is a positive challenge. Well, and, and it really, I guess it has to begin with you seeing that you're an agent that gets to act on this. Because if you don't, you could hopelessly live in a bad situation when there's 15 doors to leave but not even know how to leave or how yeah. to improve the condition. And that is the, the, the stuckness. And yeah. I think that that's where we become most unhappy is when we feel stuck mm. and we are limited. We don't have options. And even if we're in a job that we don't like, it's like, how can I make my little domain a little bit of a happier place? Am I taking good care of myself even? Am I getting out in the sunshine for 15 minutes a day just to get the benefit yeah. uh, of the vitamin C and, and vitamin D? Am I, am I standing at the water cooler or the coffee maker and am I gossiping? Yeah. Or am I t- you know, spreading positive news? How am I, how am I influencing? Yes. I guess one of the points you bring up too in your article about happier on the, in the job you hate is you got to determine the root of your problem. And so how do we go about assessing my happiness problem? Oh, well, it's an inside job, right? The yeah. ha- that- fact, that's what your hat says, too. I yeah. love that. But, you know, and it goes back to that, uh, that control issue. I think that we desire to be in control as humans, yeah. right? We want to feel that we're safe. We want to feel that we're secure. And we want to feel that we're in control. And when we don't feel that, whether it's in our, in our job or in our relationships or in our situations in the world, we feel out of sorts. Yeah, right. So the idea is to p- pull that locus of control back to where we have um, dominion over our thoughts, over our actions, and our attitudes. Hmm. And really start to, I guess, that's regrouping, like, right? That's, you're starting to get to the, the core of this is it's got to be inside of me. I've yes. got to – and I guess the problem is if I'm thinking it's my boss or my job or my parents that made me take this job or conditions or the, the – um, just my financial situation, all of these things keep me stuck in thinking it's all outside of me yeah, instead of in me. And the other thing I would ask, if somebody is challenged in their in their job and they're unhappy and they can't leave, it, it would be what other things are you doing or could you do that bring balance to the situation? So if you are not if, – if you're not going to the gym or you like to garden and you're not gardening or maybe you like to dance and you're not taking that ballroom dancing class. Yeah. So you get, the, you get the balance. You're getting the goodies somewhere which allow you to have perspective to see, you know what, it's not all bad. Ah. When I leave work, I get to go spend an hour doing that thing. Or volunteering is another terrific right. way to give perspective. Well, it's interesting because I guess I'm giving back. I'm serving others, yes. which turns my arrows away from me and away to others. It also sounds like one of the things you, you mentioned, I know it's in the happiness literature, is we are happier when we do what we like, when we're, what we're good at. Yeah, And so – you in your job, if you're miserable and unhappy, it may very well be like you were saying. You're not doing what you love. You're not dancing. You're not talking to enough people. So maybe part of the root is figuring out why why aren't or what aren't you doing that you love to do. 
or could love to do. And how can you fit some of that into your life so you're getting the relief, Mm -hmm. which opens your perspective up, which then allows you to see that there are possibilities beyond that job that is unhappy. Because it doesn't – everything doesn't have to be met by your job or your spouse. We can spread out the joy. But what you're saying though is it would open up your heart and your mind and be happy to see more clearly what else you could do. Agreed. And you and you mentioned something really important about you said job and then spouse. Yeah. And I think this is a, another really important point that we, we mate with our partners with the desire that we grow together, yeah. with the desire for them to bring us happiness. But I would ask the question, where are you bringing happiness back to the relationship? Yeah. yeah. It really – it comes back to, to giving, it sounds like. Giving makes us more happy than getting. Oh, I think so. In my own experience. No, I totally feel that. Yeah. It's so a- what am I bringing to my marriage or my relationship or my job versus what am I getting from it? Yes, and you can even ask yourself this question. It's like, what do you want for the day? So we talk about setting goals from a coaching perspective. Yeah. What do you want from the day? But then what are you willing to give to the day? Mm. What are you willing to give to life today? That's cool. Do you notice that people that are less happy are kind of, they're, they're, they're tunneling in? They're, they're kind of more into themselves and less able to think of giving. Well, they're mired. You know, I think yeah. it's a, that's sort of yeah, that constricted, contracted state that removes you from this big, gorgeous, glorious world that we live in. Yeah. And I think that the world is a pretty hospitable place, but there are many people, and I'm sure you know them as well, that would think the opposite. Oh, yeah. And both are correct. Right. That's true, huh? You know? Both can coexist. Yes, they can co- it, it, The world is a, is a scary, unknown place, and it's also a really gorgeous place. Yeah, and which one do you focus on again? Another point you bring up is about growth. Um, and it, I know there is a correlation between happiness and growing. So if, if you are no longer growing, developing at your work, then that might be one of the sources for your unhappiness. Well, perpetual growth is essential for our happiness. And if you're in a job that you don't like, maybe you go to HR and say, you know what, are there any um, benefits for me taking courses? I mean, that's another way yeah. where you can continue to grow. <laughs> Your skills in, in that area. They'll pay for, for some, some class that could allow you to grow and maybe see another avenue, mm. career avenue that you wouldn't normally have seen. Absolutely. And and. Do something for free. I remember in one of my jobs, I didn't, I didn't love at all what I was doing. I was in sales and I wasn't – I didn't feel like I was a salesman. But I wanted to be a trainer. So I was taking classes in training and then for free, I would go teach the, the company classes for their new higher orientations. And I was doing that for free and it ended up getting – but I was happier than ever. I was yeah. so happy for free during my lunch teaching all the new hires and it eventually got me the job I wanted in that company by growing and yes. learning. Well, I think you bring up a really good point. Because we are a money-driven society that we often think that if we're not getting paid for it, that it's not worth it. Right. So true, huh? And Isn't it, that weird? Yeah. And maybe that leads to our lack of happiness. This idea that it's, it's about compensation. And the minute I've kind of monetized something, it may not no longer mean be meaningful for me. The minute it's about my job, you see this with a lot of pros that when they finally make their big contract and they're finally getting really paid a lot, they're not as happy in their career. 
It was yeah. the fun part was the competition of always competing to get there and not knowing. But it, once we made it about money, it's kind of not my mission anymore. Well, it's interesting that you say that because if you think about it, some people would say that winning is losing, right? So the minute you get the win, yeah. you're already on the downturn, right? Because right. you're trying to look for that next thing yeah. to, to make you feel good. That, you know, it, it, it juices us up when we're, when we're striving for something. Totally, totally. And this is why goals are really, really essential to our happiness. Yeah. So part of that, I guess, then is we got to set some real goals. Don't overhype the idea. I mean, I've also heard we shouldn't make happiness the goal. Oh, of course. No, because the minute you do that, yeah. you're constantly second-guessing yourself. Happiness is the, is the byproduct. It is that gift, yeah. right? It's the byproduct of that, that, that destination, mm-hmm. getting to the destination. So what would be some good goals then, I guess, growth? Growth, you know, curiosity, mm-hmm. really living in that state of curiosity. When we ask questions of ourselves and the world, we're in that state of inquiry. And yeah. when we're in inquiry, we can't be ruminating about the past or worrying about the future. True. That's true, huh? We're in it. We're here. You're, you're having the experience. Another goal might be just outwardly focused, serving others, changing others' lives. What are you offering to the world? Yes. Well, that service element for me, um, and my degree is in spiritual psychology, yeah. so I really believe that, that, that having that, that spiritual connection to the world and to others and giving back is a key part of happiness. It certainly is what helped me um, get out of my depression. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? It turns you. It turns you. Well, you get you get out of your own way, right? You set yourself aside to say, I'm going to focus on somebody else because they matter. Yeah. And then in serving somebody else, you get, it's called the helper's high, right? So there is that release of chemicals in the brain that make us feel elevated. Yeah, totally. Powerful. Give me one more thing um, before I let you go, Lisa. What If you said there's one thing, what is the one thing that would push us to happiness the fastest or the most naturally? What's the one thing we could do today? Oh, I think it's compassion. I think it's looking at the other person that's sitting across from you and recognizing that that person wants a life of joy, the absence of discomfort and sorrow. And then when you see that in the other, you can also see it in yourself. Yeah. And it changes you. It changes you. And it brings passion and companionship. Yeah. Powerful. Well, and the passion is energy. Yeah. Yeah, powerful. Lisa uh, Cypers. Is that right? That's right. It looks so so right. (laughs) I I grew up with a girl named Lisa Kuypers that's spelled the same way. Really? Lisa Cypers uh, Cayman. And you got to check out her website. Tons of valuable information there. Harvestinghappiness.com. You can find out more about her book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. And you can go listen to her radio show as well. She's a, a true blue happiness expert, but also doesn't just talk about it. She brings it. Thanks again. We appreciate you, Lisa. We'll take a break, come back and uh, continue the journey, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's that time, folks, uh, as we're wrapping up this second hour of the program. It's Friday, and because it's Friday, we are going to turn uh, the the reins over very soon to uh, my sidekick, Jeffrey Liam Simpson, uh, for his uh, show, Screen Cleaning, which is 
it's it's just a great show. Today they're going to be talking about why people enjoy scary movies, which I don't understand. Don't you like watching scary movies? I don't. I watched a scary movie for the first time in a long time. It. I don't want to have a you know a rapid heart rate. Well, it's interesting because our guest is going to talk about the different reasons why people watch scary movies, and they're not all the same reasons. Oh, they aren't. You might go into a scary movie for a totally different reason than I might. Well, yeah, we know the teenagers go in because if you get the girls scared, they'll hold you closer. Mm, that may or may not be mentioned. Okay. I knew it. So uh, in a few minutes, screen cleaning up next. You're not going to want to miss it. Also, one of their goals is to help you kind of blend media and your family to create a healthier blend. Sometimes there's some ugly things on the media and you don't want to be surprised. Right. We've got a segment called Panning for Good, which we shine a big old spotlight on something that is positive in the news, right? Yeah. Which... A lot of, I think a lot of people get discouraged thinking there's no positive news, there's no positive media, there's nothing that I can watch that's appropriate with my family. But there really is. You just need to know where to look for it. And that show is where you find it. Wow. That's a pretty, that's a pretty cool show. It's in about one minute from now. And Jeff will even also be bringing in BYU Sports Nation to do a little segment as well with him. Do you still do that? I'm hoping they're ready for this. I want them to... I want them to liken BYU athletes to superheroes. Oh, there you go. Yeah. That's cool. By the way, Jamal uh, Williams just got picked up by the um, Green Bay Packers. Oh, sweet. You might want to ask him about that because that's huge. Anyway, Jeff's up with screen cleaning in a minute. But uh, before we take the, the before I have to say goodbye to you on this wonderful weekend, let me just thank you for a great week. I think we've learned a lot. Right. We've had a we've had a pretty full week of of insight about uh, everything from media to um, to really happiness, how to find hope, how to find more peace in our lives. Remember, we're trying to do the show to help you have hope because there is so much good out there in the world. And just as I say goodbye, I want you to know we think you're part of that good. We want you to be a part of our family. So make sure you uh, stick around. And if if you want more information, look us up uh, at BYURadio.org. Also, go to iTunes to tune in you, to Stitcher. You can just download the show. We're everywhere, folks. Plus, go to MattTownsend.com. We love you. And uh, we'll be back next week, Monday through Friday, killing it again, doing what we can to make life better for everybody. Good luck to you this weekend, by the way. Thank you. I may be going to get an MRI. It's going to be fun. I'll let you know. Talk to you Monday, folks. Uh, Get ready. er, Screen cleaning (laughs) is up next. This is a special spooky edition of Screen Cleaning. Join us as we enter a crypt of terrifying topics. An actress is out for revenge for her film being misrepresented by movie studios. Men are stark raving mad about being banned from seeing a film about a woman superhero. Our special guest today explains why we like to watch scary movies. And finally, a group of villains is taking over a hospital. So pull up a chair, 
turn up the volume on your listening devices and see if you can make it out alive of screen cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show, where we're dying to have you as our guest. (laughs) Excuse me. Well, 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 welcome to the show. I didn't know it's going to be so scary today. My name is Jeff Simpson. I'm the host of Screen Cleaning. I'm joined here, as always, by Cole Wissinger. Hello, Cole. How you doing? Already shaking in my shoes. Oh, spooky stuff. We're here every Friday, 9 a.m. Mountain Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, to help help you find the best in entertainment. Uh, We're going to shine a big old spotlight on all those things that you think are hard to find, but really they're there. There is plenty of entertainment for you and your family to enjoy together. And uh, that you don't have to squirm as you watch it because of all of the the F-bombs or the the nudity, things like that. We're going to bring you the very best in entertainment news. We're going to air trailers and commercials that you're not going to hear anywhere else. All here on, uh, I almost said spring cleaning, screen cleaning. And uh, speaking of our uh, picks for best entertainment, here are our picks for the best entertainment news from the past week. The first of which is the best use of celebrity. Now, I don't know about you, Cole. I'm not really one that enjoys reading celebrity tweets because it's they're usually complaining about something that Donald Trump did or some other controversial topic that really I, I don't care what their opinion is on the matter. Mm-hmm. But there was one tweet that I happen to agree with uh, highly. There, Do you know the, the actress Chloe Grace Moretz? I was waiting to see if you could pronounce it. Correct. Was that correct? I'm well, I don't know. <laughs> Sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, she's in an upcoming animated film which tells uh, it's a retelling of the Snow White story, right. okay? Mm-hmm. And the on the poster of the movie, and she signed up for this movie because it had a great message. She agreed with what they were trying to say. Very entertaining, sweet script. But the ads that are coming out for this film maybe don't give you an accurate picture of what the film's about and also might do a little body shaming. So on the poster, there's a picture of this slender, beautiful-looking woman animated, and right next to her is a beautiful woman who is heavy. Mm -hmm. And the tagline on the poster says, what if Snow White wasn't beautiful? It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. So you can understand uh, her disgust with this movie poster. And a lot of people are talking about this. And again, I don't really buy into – I don't really spend a lot of time worrying about what celebrities say on Twitter. But I happen to agree with Miss Moretz Mm -hmm. or Grace Moretz. And this is about her own movie too. Apparently she saw something in the script that we haven't seen because even the descriptions of the plot that are coming out now – seem like they're along the same line as what the trailer is putting yeah. out there and not not this nice kind of movie yeah. that we thought that she'd be up for. Well, she made it very clear look, look, I had no say in the marketing for this movie right. and she, you know, talks about how good the movie is, but yeah, maybe not the best choice to uh I would never promote my movie that way. No. If I ever make a movie. Anyway, uh, so that's the best use of celebrity. The best casting news. I don't know if you've seen this, Cole, but there's a new trailer out from the director of all the Oceans movies. Oceans oh 11, 12, 12 13. 13 mm-hmm. 14, and 15, 16. It's called, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's called Logan Lucky. And there's no relation to the superhero film Logan starring Hugh Jackman. Um, but it's basically a heist film. 
and they have the best casting choice I've ever seen. I want you to play this clip. I don't know if you've seen – you said you haven't seen the trailer. No, I have not. Okay, I want you to tell me if you know who the voice is in this trailer, the first voice. All right. I am incarcerated. Yeah, we got a plan to get you out. You Mogans must be as simple-minded as people say. People say that. <laughs> Okay, so let me just say this actor is known for playing serious roles. I don't oh, think I've okay. ever seen him in a comedy. So when I saw him with his bleached blonde hair uh, playing this redneck, mm-hmm. I was sold. I'm, I'm going to go see it for sure. Um, it's Daniel Craig. Well, see, I— James Bond. I have an advantage because I've heard that goofy redneck accent coming out of his mouth before because I'm a huge fan of Cowboys and Aliens. Oh, that's where right. Daniel Craig Cowboys and Aliens portrayed an old cowboy meeting See, some aliens. This is why you and I make a great team on this show because I we don't typically like the same movies, in but fact, we like <laughs> them all between us. Yes, is the key. There, so we cover all the bases. Mm-hmm. We're just never on the same base. <laughs> Anyway, Logan Lucky, it's coming out later this summer. It looks pretty funny. Uh, In the best serial news, which is probably news you're not going to get anywhere else, there there is a serial that came out a long time ago, back in the 80s, that is back in the news again. And uh, let me give you the description. Now comes a spectacular serial from the outermost limits of the galaxy. It's new C-3PO's. <laughs> double crunch. This unique double O shape gives you two crunches in every bite, a unique experience in all the galaxy. Spectacular taste. C-3PO's has an incredible taste, plus all the excitement and fun of Star Wars golden goodness. C-3PO's is a golden combination of three grains, oats, wheat, and corn, and it provides 10 essential vitamins and minerals. The funny thing, if you watch this commercial... It uh, they say they show this whole complete breakfast and it says, uh, where is it? What does it say? It says a delicious part of this nutritious breakfast, and then it shows a cup of milk, a grapefruit, and some toast. So it's basically saying it's not nutritious, but it's a delicious part of this, this nutritious nutritious breakfast. breakfast that we're showing you. Yeah. yeah. So good someone for them. someone with an English degree or communications degree like you or I got paid some money to put together that glowing description of what C three P I know, right? Are so it was very flowery, very nice on eBay. Poetic. Just for a box, uh-huh. fifty dollars for a box, an empty box of C three PO. An empty box, so you don't even get to eat the cereal. Mm-hmm. Okay, two hundred fifty dollars. The two grains, the two crunches, and every. Thank you. Two hundred fifty dollars for a brand new, sealed in the box, uh, box of C three POs. Fifteen hundred dollars for a brand new sealed in the box with the Luke Skywalker mask. Oh well, if I get a mask too, I yeah. guess it's so save up. And get some C-3PO's. They probably don't taste good anymore. But uh, And then lastly... I don't think they tasted good in the 80s either. <laughs> probably <laughs> not. Best Our best scary movie trailer news. This movie is based on a true story. And in fact, it's our Ripped from the Headlines segment for today. For the fifth time, a Maryland house has been the victim of an out-of-control car. When he crashed into the wall, I said, he said, another car hit my house. That was the homeowner, Leonard Miller, who's 88. The car has, has uh, it came over a hill approaching his house and lost control as it turned a corner, causing it to jump the curb and ram into a wall. 
These crashes typically happen when it's dark out, and Miller says drivers fly down the street near his house. Where the posted speed limit is 30 miles per hour. Now we're going to be speaking with Rod Gustafson from Parent Previews here in a second. But as we go to commercial, we want to give you a trailer for this film. And I don't know if it's really going to be a film, but I think the filmmakers wanted to get a jump, or filmmakers, probably not the filmmakers, just wanted to get a jump on the story and put out a trailer in case they make the movie. So here That's it is. That's how movie trailers work. Oh yeah.、Mm-hmm. So here it is. In the small town of Hillcrest Heights. There is a hill, and just over the hill is a house. And when it's dark out, something strange happens. No, no, no! It's happening again. Some say there's a madman slashing people's tires. Some believe there are supernatural forces at work. Others think it's just bad driving. But whatever the cause, one thing's for sure: cars can't seem to stop crashing into this house. No! No! Horror! Horror! The house that cars couldn't seem to stop crashing into. Welcome back to the show. You know, some people love the chills and thrills of sitting home in the dark and watching their favorite scary movies. And research is shedding some light on the psychology of just why people love doing that. Here with us today is Dr. Tom Robinson, Associate Director of Graduate Studies in the School of Communications at BYU. We're so excited to have you here on the program. Thank you. Welcome. So you've done some research on why we enjoy watching scary movies. That's right. Okay. So what can you tell us about this study that you've conducted? Well, I probably have to give you a little background history, and that is、okay. why did I end up doing this? And、uh, I was at a <laughs> pop culture conference, and I was. Writing down topics that I was interested in in pop culture, and one of the things I wrote was horror movies. And as I looked at that, I thought, "Why in the world do I like horror movies? Because horror movies scare me to death." Yeah, I'm one of these guys that when I watch a horror movie, I get so scared I have to like sneak my hand in the room and turn the light on, and <laughs> I have to make sure I cuddle up close to my wife at night, and I'm afraid to walk through my own house. But when the next one comes on, I go and I watch it. Yeah. And I, and I, so I couldn't figure this out. I thought, why are people like that? Why do we keep going back to this thing that causes us so much anxiety and so much pain? And so that's where the idea started. And so I, I have a very unique methodology called Q methodology that allows us to study people's、um, opinions, attitudes, and behaviors. And so I said, well, I'm going to find out. I'm going to talk to horror movie fans and find out why they like them. And so that's where this came from, and that's what this study actually did. And I found three very interesting groups within that group of horror movie fans. Okay, so what what are those three different groups? <clears throat>、um, there are the、um, adrenaline junkies, there are the detectives, and then there are the white knucklers.、Hmm. So that's those are the names that I gave them. Okay,、uh, so. Kind of break each group down and talk a little bit more about each one of those、okay. groups for us. Yeah, the the adrenaline junkies are the ones that we expected. They are all the past research and horror movies said that, and they called them thrill seekers. So these are the people that like to jump out of airplanes and they do 
uh, motorcycle riding, and they do anything that they can get a an extreme charge um, out of in their lives. So they sure. so horror movies just kind of fits right into that. So they go to the horror movies, they get all excited and scared, and uh, and so it just is a thrill to them. Now, an interesting thing about these people is they aren't scared by the movies. They don't carry the movies with them when they leave. They have no uh, emotional attachment to the characters or the victims. Hmm. Um, and so they just go for the, the charge. Then the, the second group were the detectives. And this was a very interesting group because we didn't expect to find this group. This is the group that looks at a horror movie like a puzzle or they're trying to figure it out. So their whole motivation for going to the the movie theater is to sit and watch and figure out who's the villain, who's the one person that's going to survive, you know, how is the next person going to die or be killed or whatever situation they're in. And so they sit and figure it out. And they love the story. Sure. And as as simple as the story in horror movies are, they, they go for the story. They aren't emotionally attached to anything. Again, they don't get scared. But if there's not a good story, they get um, they get they lose interest in the in the show, right? And so they don't get a big charge like the thrill seekers or the adrenaline junkies, but they're there for a very specific reason. And as I I did this research, I thought, okay, neither one of those is me. Where do I fit in? And then I right. all of a sudden this next group appeared, and we called them the white knucklers. And those are the people that I fit into that group. And I called them white knucklers because that's kind of how I am when I go see a horror movie. I grab the armrest and I start squeezing them and I get nervous and scared. So this is a group of people that love horror movies, but they get scared. They have nightmares. They hear things in the dark. They have to sleep with the lights on. And sure enough, they go back to the theater time and time again. And I think it's because the, my my results or my my findings on this was that they love that charge that they get, that that huge rush a rush of adrenaline that comes into their body and their lives for that that moment and they're and i will say we we're willing to risk all of the bad things that happen after for that one shot of adrenaline that one time of emotional excitement that we get from watching a horror movie wow and so that's that's where i fit in so you're in the third group the the white necklers I'm probably a mixture of the second and third groups. I've never been somebody that has had any desire at all to jump out of an airplane. And it was, I was probably in my late teens before I would even go on some of the bigger roller coasters at amusement parks. So I think this has always been uh, my outlet to to have that kind of release or to, to experience right. that kind of um, emotional you know, roller coaster. And I, I grew up watching some of these scarier movies. I'm actually, when I think back on some of the movies that my parents allowed me to watch, I was kind of surprised. Um, but yeah, I, as a kid, I could always, I could always figure out when I was going to have nightmares because if I watched the movie Jaws during the day, I would be fine. Oh, yes. But if I watched it at night, I would always have nightmares. So talk to us a little bit more about, because obviously, People that love watching scary movies must love to laugh as well, <laughs> because what is our initial reaction after we're scared, or at least in public when we go out and see a movie in yeah, public? The emotional release is to laugh or to scream and to make sure that you're releasing it someplace. And I, there are, there's a lot of research that shows there's a huge difference from watching it in the theater as opposed to watching it 
uh, at home. Yeah. At home, you feel absolutely. more safe. You feel more protected. But when you're in the theater and it's all black and you're surrounded by strangers and they're reacting, then you react in a similar way. Yeah. And it makes it a lot more scary. You know, and unfortunately, I don't get to have that theater experience or even even a good home experience because my wife is not a fan of scary movies. She'll watch Alfred Hitchcock movies, which are amazing, by the way. Um <laughs> But if I'm watching it at home, it's so fragmented because I'll only have 20 minutes at a time to watch it. And so I don't get the full experience to where I the suspense builds and I get to watch things develop. And, you know, maybe by the time I get back to the movie, I've kind of forgotten what I've been watching already, you know. And, and my wife is the same way. She hates horror movies. And as soon as the music comes on, she shoots in the other room <laughs> and she doesn't want to be anywhere near it. So I end up watching alone. Yeah. In, in my house. So I'm sitting there like all alone and I'm quite sure there are people, other people in the room with me while I'm watching it because it's so, you know, it gets so scary. Well, let's do this. Let's take a, a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion with Tom Robinson, who's been telling us a little bit more about why we enjoy or why we watch scary movies. Stick with us. This is Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back. We're talking scary movies with Tom Robinson, who is Associate Director for Graduate Studies in the School of Communications at BYU. He teaches advertising and specializes in account planning, advertising principles, and advertising strategy and research. He holds a Ph.D. in mass communications from the University of Southern Mississippi, an M.A. in uh, communications for the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and a B.S. in marketing from Northern Arizona University. Thank you so much for joining us on the program this morning. You're welcome. Nice to be here. As far as scary movies go, is there anything that you've noticed that people do to sort of distract themselves while they're watching a scary movie? Because... You know, we know that people want to be scared, but maybe they're not fully committed to wanting to be scared. What are some things that you notice that people do to help get rid of some of that feeling that they may not like? Well, the, uh, the one of the things that comes to mind is that uh, when, you know, when you were younger and you'd go on a date, you'd always want to take your date to a horror movie because you knew that she would grab a hold of you and she sure. would hold you close. So that's one of the things <laughs> is that you grip on anything that's close. And hold on tight because that's going to help to protect you. Um, the other thing that's interesting, you go to the theater and the looking away or covering your eyes mm. is the other one that – and it, no matter how hard you try, you still know what's going on on the screen. So a lot of people that aren't really committed to horror movies will will cover their eyes or look away. Um, I also get to that point because I'm, I get scared by these movies is that, that I will close my eyes and kind of wish that it would just kind of go quickly – so there are a lot of defensive mechanisms <laughs> that we use as humans to to try to ease the pain of what we're watching. And again, to me, the most interesting thing about that whole thing is we're we're trying to ease the pain, but yet the next one happens, the next one comes on, we go back and see it. We go back and put ourselves in that in that situation one more time. Sure. You know, it's it's like a a train wreck. Yes. You, <laughs> You don't want to watch, but you also have to, you know. And, yeah, even from a very early age, I remember 
covering my eyes, but what do you do once you cover your eyes? You always leave a little crack. So oh, you yeah. can, you can, it, maybe if you just see just a little bit of it, then it won't be as scary. And it'll ease the pain. Which is a ridiculous theory. <laughs> um, you know, another good thing that you could consider is popcorn. Oh, you know, yes. have some food to distract you, some popcorn, some candy, some soda. And uh, yeah, and if you drink enough soda, maybe you have to go to the bathroom enough that you have that to <laughs> well, focus no. on. No, you do not want to get up and walk out by yourself. That's the worst thing that you could do. <laughs> you may never come back. You may never come back. Yeah. So it's interesting because you talked, you brought up the point of men liking to take women to scary movies in the hopes that uh, that the women will grab onto their arms and that they can have that physical contact. In your studies, have you noticed, are men... Uh, do they like watching scary movies more than women? Great question. And that's what all the past research told us as we went into this study, that men are were the adrenaline junkies. They were the, the, the guys that loved horror movies, and horror movies were made for men. And so we anticipated not finding very many women at all that liked horror movies. And when we started this study, we found half of our subjects were women. And so half of the adrenaline junkies are women, half the detectives were women, and half of the the white knucklers were women. So they are involved with and enjoying horror movies exactly at the same level that men are. And so it was very interesting to see that there's this whole group of horror movie fans that maybe the horror movie industry isn't really doesn't really know exists, or at least they're not marketing to them. You know, that's a really, really interesting point, because there have been more movies put out that feature a, a female as the heroine of oh, the story. Well, if you go back and think about it, most all of them yeah. have, a, have a female heroine. So are they, I mean, are they trying to market more towards women by empowering women more? I think that is one of the tactics of attracting men uh, to the theater, to the shows. Also, there are a lot of research about the the abuse of women and putting them in these situations. However, all of the guys always get killed off right away. And so the women end up being the strong one that are able to handle the situation that exists uh, with the with the villain or the the monster. Yeah. So if you if you if you want evidence that women are indeed smarter than men, just watch pretty much any scary movie <laughs> that's, that's right. out there. And I think yeah. it, I think it, once you start watching it, you can identify who the strong woman is and which one will survive. It seems like if you take a look at history, thing uh, these scary movies have kind of been shaped around fears that were prevalent at the time, like way back as far as. Uh, the original invasion of the body snatchers, you know, because that film is is known to have a very, uh, very clear connection to McCarthyism and our fears of, oh, this this guy could be a communist instead right. of this guy could be an alien, you right. know. Oh, yes. And I wonder if we'll see more and more if we'll continue to see that as we keep having these fads or these things that happen in the news like. People are really afraid of clowns because oh, yeah. they, they keep saying they, they see all these clowns in the woods holding a knife or, you know, in front of their car. And by the way, Terry, our producer, thinks it's just a bunch of fluff. That, oh, uh, it's, yeah. yeah. But I wonder if we're going to continue seeing that where there's a correlation between the, the movies that are being put out and the fears that are prevalent at the time. Oh, I'm quite sure that that yeah. will be the case. So don't be surprised if you see a bunch of crazy clown movies <laughs> coming out right now. What are some other uh, of your favorite 
horror movies or scary movies. I have this huge fear of like somebody looking into my window. Uh, and so I'm always afraid of any movie that has a character that's like lurking around outside that you can see them. Yeah. Uh, that, those are always scary. I will have to say, by the way, that my most favorite classic movie uh, monster is still Frankenstein. Really? And I love I still love that character and I love that that monster. So the James Whale uh Frankenstein film then. Yeah, it's back from the nineteen yeah. thirties. Yeah. Young Frankenstein is another one of my favorite oh, Frankenstein movie. movies. It is interesting you brought up, you know, people lurking outside your window because again it brings up the point of we want to feel safe in our homes. Right. Uh we want to feel safe in our relationships. And yet they keep making movies about home invasion, and people keep going to see them. It's greatest fear. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, channels on TV like Lifetime, that's supposed to be a channel for women. <laughs> Jim Gaffigan has this whole routine on it, you know, like Lifetime, television for women. And yet there's always some woman being beaten by a rod, you know. Yeah, or being so, stalked, yeah. Yeah. And oh, it. It's very interesting the the way that uh, we flock to these things that terrify us and, and strip us of, of our comfort zone. Tom Robinson, thank you so much you're for welcome. being on the program this morning. We've had a lot of fun with you. If you're listening and you enjoy watching scary movies, maybe you'll understand why that is. And if you don't like scary movies, just adopt what Professor Robinson has suggested here today. And remember, they're just movies. We'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll be speaking with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. The 2006 computer animated film Monster House is part Rear Window and part The Goonies, which is fitting since Steven Spielberg, a producer of that 80s classic, produces this film. The movie starts off on the eve of All Hallows' Eve with 12-year-old DJ Walter spying on his cantankerous neighbor, Mr. Nebercracker. With a name like Nebercracker, who wouldn't be cantankerous? Who for years has confiscated any toy that lands on his lawn. DJ spying includes tracking the movements of Nebercracker's spooky and mysterious house, which seems to come alive only when no adults are looking. Officer, we have reason to believe that there's a dangerous creature inside that house. And it grabs things and pulls them in and eats them. <laughs> we'll see you later. Now, we've all had a nebercracker as a neighbor. My nebercracker once used trigonomics to convince my dad that the dent in his car had to have been caused by a baseball coming from our house. Right. However, we may not all have had a monster house in our neighborhood. So what do you do when you're convinced the house across the street is a living, breathing, attacking entity? Well, in young DJ's case, you skip the trick-or-treating and enlist the help of two friends. One is the Brains, a sober, sassy Girl Scout. The other is the Bozo, cape-wearing Chowderhead, aptly nicknamed Chowder. Here's an interchange between the two after they've successfully put the house to sleep using cold medicine. Those are the teeth, and that's the tongue. Then that must be the uvula. Oh, so it's a girl house. What? You know, this movie will always hold a special place in my heart. My wife and I watched this on our second date while we ate cookie monsters. It's actually our anniversary today, so if you'll excuse me for a moment. Way to your girl's heart. 
is to show her this Halloween movie I taped off cable TV. Okay. Well, as cute as this all sounds, this is one kid's movie that is really not a kid's movie. The monster house can be quite frightening at times. Breathing fire from its chimney, snatching up its victims with adjacent trees, and bearing its sharp wood shingle fangs. This bozo made the genius parenting decision to show this movie to his two-year-old and four-year-old. Oh, well, it's not like that'll scar them for life, right? No serious, will it? Welcome back to Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we may have confused you there a little bit because we said we'd be coming back with BYU Sports Nation, but we had to change things up just a little bit. But uh, you're not going to be any... uh, any, you're not going to be disappointed because we have to go to Rod Gustafson. We were going to do that earlier in the program anyway. And, you know, sometimes I enjoy speaking with Rod more than I like speaking with Spencer and Jeremy at Sports Nation. <laughs> I won't tell them that. Um, but uh, Rod Gustafson from Parent Previews, welcome back to Screen Cleaning. Well, you got to be careful, Jeff. I mean, B- at BYU, football is the secondary religion, so be, you know, <laughs> tread lightly on that. <laughs> well, we really appreciate having you on the show so often, and today you're you're here to tell us about a new film, a little film that's coming out today that uh, is called Wonder Woman. Oh yes, a little film, <laughs> and, and I, you know, what's really amazed me about this so much, Jeff, is the box office predictions on this for the weekend, where I I was seeing numbers in the range of sixty to seventy five million, and I'm thinking, really, with the positive reviews that this movie has been getting, and last night eleven million dollars in the Thursday opening, which is very very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think this film is going to make a lot of money. So, uh, first of all, tell me, does Linda Carter make a cameo in this film? If she did, I missed it. And I was trying to look for it, too. But I know she was at the Hollywood premiere last week, but I did not see, uh, you know, if she was, she was probably in the first few minutes where we're on the idyllic little island where where Wonder Woman was raised as as young Diana. And perhaps she was in there and I, I missed my cameo moment. But no, maybe she I can't provided say a, that I saw her. Yeah, maybe she provided a voiceover or something. So Yes, yeah, that could have been. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about Wonder Woman and whether or not you are one of those uh, critics. And, you know, right now it has like 93, 94 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Are you one of those critics that like the film? Yes, I certainly am. The Wonder Woman movie comes across very well. Uh, it, it so first of all, I should I should explain. This is a DC Comics character for people that are as green with comic comic books as I am, and I often find the DC Comics characters take themselves a little bit too seriously. Um, but in this case, this is a fairly serious movie. But um, and that doesn't mean there isn't humor in here. In fact, there's more humor in here than what I've seen in some other DC comic character movies. This movie takes place in during the the dying days of World War One. That's probably a bad way to put it, but they really were dying days with the millions of people that were killed in that war. And um, Wonder Woman has been raised on this idyllic little protective island. They've been protected by the Greek god Zeus, and all these women are there training for an upcoming battle. 
that they feel is going to be the result of the god of war, which is Ares. And so when suddenly a little warplane crash lands on the beach uh, and out pops this pilot played by Chris Pine, this is the first time that young Diana, who's now a young adult, that she has seen a man. And he tells all these women about what's going on in the world around them. Well, Wonder Woman, Diana, is convinced that if she can get led to the center of the war, she'll find Ares there, and she can slay Ares with this special sword called the God Killer, and that'll end the war. So she begs this captain, this pilot, to take her to the, the front lines in Germany. Interesting. You know, it sounds like I need to go see this film because I'm an Aries myself. <laughs> <laughs> you, boy. So you're one of these guys that stirs up trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then, yeah, yeah, you could be in big trouble. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Capricorn. I'm one of those, you know, kind of laid back, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so whatever. you have a young Sorry, princess, you have a young princess being raised by another princess, Princess Buttercup, Robin Wright from uh, the film Princess Bride. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a somewhat similar, yes. You know, what What I really loved about this film, um, and I did, I really quite enjoyed it. Uh, we gave it a B-plus grade, which for an action movie and whatnot for us uh, is pretty darn good. And what I really enjoyed about it is it's a very timely movie that is, that is working with a lot of... Um, it's working with a lot of topics that are, are really headline topics right now, and I'm sure that's no coincidence. Um, but Wonder Woman really comes across as somewhat the voice of reason. She she says things and does things that most of us are saying right now as we watch the evening news. And I think that's what helps to make this movie quite relevant as you're watching it, even though it is a completely fantastical, of course. You know, like in one scene, she can lift up a German tank and, and you know, and she's she's able to do all these amazing things with two bracelets and a shield. But at the same time, it still seems, as bizarre as this sounds, quite grounded in reality. That's interesting. And, it, you know, I can appreciate a film that comes out that is very empowering for women. And uh, it's interesting. Um, there are several movie theaters that are doing women-only showings of this film, and it's caused quite a stir on social media. I don't know if you've seen any of this. Yeah, I have. And from what I understand, the only theater chain that's been doing that, that I've found at least, is the Alamo Draft House, which I mean, they 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 love getting exposure, doing things that may offend some people, but don't offend other people. So, you know, I, I don't see it much different than them holding a ladies night or something. So, you know, I in some ways, I guess, Jeff, I'm I it's unfortunate that so much has been made of the feminist angle of this movie because if that hadn't happened i don't even really know that it would have thought about it in fact there are, are many um there are many positive things about her portrayal in this movie but i don't find it to be a an overly hit your head hit yourself over the head with a bored feminist message in fact, um, at once she meets uh, the Chris Pine character, uh, he and then a couple of other men that they meet that are basically they hire them to take them into the front lines and that type of thing. 
they all end up working together to try and save the day. Of course, the men don't have the superpowers that Wonder Woman does, <laughs> but I felt like she was just as accepting, if not more accepting, of input from the opposite gender than what a lot of male superheroes are, or at least male protagonists in action movies. Yeah, I see other action films where we have a male protagonist and the women are either victims or they're eye candy. And in this one, I felt like um, the role of men was actually quite positive in this film. Now, there are evil men in this movie. There are evil men in every superhero movie sure. and sometimes evil women as well. But I found this movie to be actually reasonably balanced, if not more balanced than what I find a lot of uh, male protagonist action films. Well, Rod, we got to let you go. Thank you so much for being on the show again. And uh, you heard it from Rod Gustafson of ParentPreviews.com. Wonder Woman is out, and uh, it's a film with positive messages and should do quite well at the box office. And uh, if you don't want to go see Wonder Woman, maybe you should go take your kids to see Captain Underpants, although we didn't have time to, to go over that film with Rod. We'll take a break. When we come back, we really will speak with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. This is Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show. The 1989 black comedy, The Burbs, tickles our funny bones, while also playing on our fears of the unknown, the odd, or the different. Tom Hanks plays Ray Peterson, a staycationer whose plans to enjoy a lazy week at home are thwarted by the strange goings-on of his nocturnal new neighbors, the Klopex. Klopex? What is that, Slavic? Now, we've all had Klopex as neighbors, people you rarely see, if at all, and who, despite our best efforts to welcome them to the neighborhood with a plate of brownies, would rather be left alone. And the Klopex and the Burbs are no exception. Ray comes up with a winning idea. Maybe we should go down and take a look in the basement. Maybe that was brother down there tapping on the ceiling a couple minutes ago. Who knows? So what kind of doctor is this brother here, Shrew? Why don't you ask him yourself? Ray's casual snooping quickly leads to an unhealthy obsession, as another neighbor convinces him the Klopex are members of a murderous cult. You know what this is? It's a bone. It just happens to be a human thigh bone. Ray, there's no doubt anymore. Your neighbors are murdering people. This film features Tom Hanks at his Tom Hanksiest. And the laughs are thanks to colorful, paranoid characters who refuse to see anything but what they want to see. You're the one who started this whole thing to begin whoa, with. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Who started it, Tuna Neck? I Tuna Neck? You instigated, you know who whole instigated this. You're a little boy watching people dig in the yeah, backyard. Yeah. Even as each and every one of their seemingly ridiculous theories are refuted, this film speaks volumes about our fears and hopes of what goes on behind closed doors. And for some twisted reason, the two often coincide. So instead of leaving sinister notes, accusing and digging up your neighbor's basement in search of human bones, which are all things the protagonists of this film do, remember, we are commanded to love thy neighbor. Go meet your neighbors and pray they're not psychos. It's our favorite time of the show when we head on over to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. Spencer and Jason we have today. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. It's time for the movie show part two. <laughs> Jeffrey. 
please don't be offended, but when you guys started talking about Wonder Woman, I had to take the earpiece out because I didn't want to know anything. You didn't? Oh, no spoilers. <laughs> I, I did not want any spo- I am really looking forward to this movie. Okay, I, I gave one spoiler, and that is, so she's a princess that's raised by a princess because Robin Wright played Princess Buttercup in the Ooh, film yes. The Princess Bride. As you wish. Oh, thank yes. you. Um, <laughs> hey, uh, I, I got to tell you, yesterday I, I had a softball game and I, I went into the game with kind of this sense of impending doom because the Dodgers lost and uh, uh, the BYU Cougars lost. Yeah. And so I thought for sure we were going to lose, but we didn't. We won. And I was hoping that you guys could uh, remind Caitlin that this weekend uh, our baseball or our softball tournament starts and we need her there. Okay. We need her. We'll let her know. I'll so, send her a text message right but now. But see, maybe your <laughs> softball win will turn the tide. And I'm fine with the Dodgers winning now because I'm a Cardinals fan. So I was glad that the Dodgers didn't win. But now <sighs> I need the Dodgers to beat the Brewers so we can retake first place in the NL Central. So maybe your win <laughs> in softball will change the trajectory of the Dodgers now and BYU baseball. That would be fantastic because they do play again today, right? They do. They play today against Sacramento State. It's an elimination game. So both teams have already lost one. This double elimination. So the the winner of this game will move on to play tomorrow. The loser is done. Wow. Yeah. Um, Okay. So I don't want to do any more spoilers of Wonder Woman, but or Wonder Woman. But I was wondering. It got me thinking. Are there any BYU athletes or even just professional athletes that you guys? see similarities in between, let's say, Wonder Woman and this female athlete, or Iron Man and this male athlete? Taysom Hill yeah, Taysom is Hill. Captain America. Really? Yes. And, oh, are Thor. you kidding me? Well, he could be Thor as he well. He could be Thor, yes. You know, with the shorter haircut now, but, but you know. Like, Taysom, tell me Taysom Hill does not kind of look like Captain America. Like, if he put on that costume... <laughs> He would be that superhero, right? Okay. I can see that easily. Yeah. yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, so For me, that's an easy one. You guys have a bit of an advantage because you know so much more about BYU sports than I do. But I would say, since I'm a Dodgers fan, I can say this. I would think Yasiel Puig is kind of like an Iron Man. Totally cocky. Uh, probably overpaid. Um <laughs> But yeah, he's my Iron Man, I guess. If we're going with if we're going with maybe the Wonder Woman at BYU, I mean, like there are a couple of Cassie Broadhead, Cassie Broadhead, uh, Shea Collinsworth, yeah, um, McKenna Bull could be Wonder Woman. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You betcha. Yeah, there are there are some. See, Shea Collinsworth is the one that immediately came to mind first. There are some ladies that can absolutely. Bring it in their respective sports. Holy yeah. Cow. Well, hopefully, you know, we spoke a little about Princess Bride. Hopefully there's an Inigo Montoya on the BYU softball team today that can really just... Uh... The baseball team? Oh, yes. Yes. Excuse me. <laughs> hopefully there's an Inigo Montoya on BYU yes. baseball's team today that can really just bring it home and avenge 
his uh, fallen well, brethren. I don't know. <laughs> if we're going to use that same analogy, I'm really hoping that Sacramento State's pitcher does not have six fingers he can work with to throw, throw baseball. But an eagle Montoya wins some in wicked the... spin. Yeah, <laughs> that is a great point. So, do you think BYU can pull out this W? Yes. Yes. I expect them to win today. This is a good matchup for BYU. Sacramento State's a good baseball team. Yeah. Like every team that gets to the regional. They have some talent. They have some players. But this this has been a, a good spot for BYU. The elimination game this year specifically has kind of awoken them. They just need that one big hit, right, Jason? If BYU can build a lead early, man, they're tough to beat. Yeah, and, and they just, like you said, build hit after hit. And that's how they do this. They'll get a hit followed by another hit, and then it, sooner or later you, you've turned into like a, like a five- or six-run inning, and that's what was missing yesterday, and hopefully yeah. they can get back to that today. Well, yeah, just watch out for that six-finger knuckleball. Um, be crazy wh- spin. <laughs> what else is coming up on your show today, you guys? We are talking about expectations today, but with this premise, because we, t- we discuss expectations for BYU sports all of the time, and we try and manage them so that fans – are appreciative of what BYU teams, athletic program-wide, have accomplished and can accomplish. But today we are asking everyone across BYUSN to tell us which teams they feel like have met or exceeded expectations in the past athletic calendar year. Like, which team stands out in your mind as, ah, oh, yeah, they, they surpassed my expectations. They were the movie that you went into and had no expectation of it being great and walked out and was like, wow, I want I would see that again. Hmm. Well, I expect that's going to be a good segment. We're also, ah, yeah. We will also Sorry. talk with Brent Norton, <laughs> who is the, the radio play-by-play voice for BYU Baseball. And how about this? BYU track and field star Mitchell Briggs is going to join us. He's part of a super couple. Speaking of superheroes, super couple at BYU. All right. Oh, n- no kidding. Like, we're, we're talking about a couple that is in unprecedented territory for BYU athletics. Oh, are you guys uh, commenting, or are you the commentators for the, the baseball game today? Are you doing anything for that? Nope. Just, uh, I mean, obviously, as Jason just said, we'll talk to Brent Norton, the radio play-by-play voice. But the game's on ESPN3, or watch ESPN app, um, when we will be watching as uh, the ESPN crew does their thing. But, yeah, we're... We get to be spectators yes. of the Bad Cats today. That's right. Which well, good for often. you. Well, get your hot dogs, your nachos, your popcorn, and that's uh, coming up here in just four minutes and 38 seconds. Mm-hmm. BYU Sports Nation. Good luck, you guys. Thanks, Thanks. Jeffrey. Oh, okay. Are you a fan of The Princess Bride? Yes, I have you a are. pulse, so I've <laughs> seen like more than two that movies a, in my life. <laughs> uh, no, I th- that's a great point, though. Like anybody with a pulse Everyone. will enjoy the Princess Bride. Absolutely. Anyway, uh, as you know, we have a segment here on Screen Cleaning called Panning for Good, and what we try to do is put a spotlight on a movie, an actor, a performer, or a story that uh, really is all about. It's just a good news segment. So. Here's panning for good. Panning for good. There's good in them dire hills. So we've been talking a lot about scary movies today and a lot about superhero movies as well. And oftentimes there are movies where uh, the two kind of overlap, where you have bad guys 
that are doing good things. You know, I think of Suicide Squad is one of them. Not a good example of a good movie, but they're Suicide Squad, Despicable Me, <laughs> Megamind, Guardi- even Guardians of the Galaxy. You have these not-so-good guys doing good things, right, for the benefit of others. Well, you're going to love this. There is a- an organization called the 501st Legion. It's an all-volunteer organization that brings together costume enthusiasts from around the world, and it seeks to promote uh, interest in Star Wars through the building and wearing of quality costumes to facilitate the use of these costumes for Star Wars-related events and, and here's the good part, to contribute to the local community through costumed charity and volunteer work. And uh, this 501st Legion recently visited Chalk, which is the Children's Hospital of Orange County. And here's just a little taste of what they do. Their energy is almost uncontainable when when the characters walk into their rooms and they, and they want to interact with them. And it, it's really cool because you see the harsh reality of what's going on in their life uh, leave for a while. And they interact with these characters. It's positive interaction. And the positive interaction is fantastic. So it's volunteers dressing up in these completely accurate Star Wars costumes, and they're, they're villain costumes. So you've got stormtroopers, you've got Darth Vader, you've got Kylo Ren, and they're going into this hospital just bringing joy into these children's lives. And uh, it's a very touching experience for, for many of them because many of these volunteers have children of their own that are the same age of many of these uh, hospital patients and they just bring so much joy into these children's lives. And, uh, you know, they like to call themselves bad guys doing good. People ask, well, aren't you as a stormtrooper the bad guy? Or aren't you as Darth Vader as the bad guy? And, you know, with the 501st Legion, our motto is bad guys doing good. And so, hey, I can dress up as a stormtrooper and do good. Sign me up twice. That's so awesome. And they've they've obviously made an impact because the 501st Legion has been used in uh, several Star Wars novels and TV shows. So good for them. And that's what we really try to do. That, again, this is just a reminder of the, the type of entertainment that we try to shine a spotlight on. Entertainment that you can enjoy with your entire family and you don't need to feel guilty because there's no, no F-bombs, no swear words, no nudity. So... We invite you back every Friday at 9 a.m. Mountain Time, 11 a.m. Eastern. Uh, It's part of the Matt Townsend Show. It is called Screen Cleaning. I'm Jeff Simpson, joined here each week with Cole Wissinger. And we're going to keep doing our darndest to shine a spotlight on all that's good in entertainment and bring you the very best in entertainment news. Join us again next week. Until then, enjoy the weekend. That's going to do it for this uh, hour of Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show.